Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Democracy First, our virtual town hall for diverse, civic-minded people across the nation to gather Monday through Friday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time to discuss current events, legislation, civics, politics, and the effects on our democracy, a two-century-old work in progress shaped by we the people. And we gather here to continue that work, making good trouble. We welcome new voices and treasure the old in our conversational roundtable, centered on respect, where we strive for a safe, welcoming space that is informative and inspiring because it's fact-based and solution-oriented. We do honor a few rules of etiquette, we agree to disagree without being disrespectful. We attack arguments or ideas without attacking people. We raise our hands to speak and we mute our mic when, we, when we're not. This is for sound quality and to allow others to do so without interruptions. In other words, being respectful. A reminder, it is a daytime recorded space, so please remember that with the personal information and the language that you use. Otherwise, don't be shy. We're looking forward to you joining us in the conversation today. And if this is your first time here, uh, first time in spaces to request the mic, use the microphone icon over to your far left. And once you're brought up to speaker, use that heart icon over to the right. You'll get a panel of emojis and the hand to the far right, which will appear like that, is how you raise your hand and you will be called on. I want to welcome my uh, co-host today, Soul Sister, who has gracious, graciously agreed to help me today. And, you know, as always, we do what we do here in Democracy First. Uh, the conversations we have are varied, but they're all focused. Um, and we are going to delve into dark money uh, today. But we're also going to talk about some of the current events and things that are going on around us here in the country. And I want to give uh, Soul Sister an opportunity to greet you guys. And um, then I'm going to put a couple of things in the Jumbotron and um, bring a couple of speakers up. I have asked quite a few people to kind of chime, uh, chime in and share uh, some thoughts and information about the topic of dark money, because I think it is a very important one that we need to start um, having a, a better understanding of so that we can start coming up with some solutions for us to fight against it. So I'm going to send out invites. If you're not able to come up, I understand, but we look forward to having you in the conversation today. So, so sister, I'm going to turn it over to you and um, let you greet the room this morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening to everyone. Um, so happy to be here. It's a blessing. Uh, you know, as we know, there are some people who didn't make it to see today. And I think that that should be something we are all conscious about uh, or conscientious about, you know. Um, but I appreciate this opportunity of being here in this room with everyone. And I appreciate everyone being here. So uh, I know that there's news and I know that there are people who are probably anxious to share their news so okay how shall we begin all right. thank you all right well great um first like i said um i want to start off with the topic that you know i want to bring some focus to but that is not the only thing that we're going to talk about but it's just like i said one of those um areas that i think we need to start having continual conversation around um 
uh, like because it's it has a very very direct impact on our democracy and what's happening with it now, and that is dark money. I have asked uh, some people to look into certain organizations because it's one of those things where the tentacles run deep, um, and um, I think a lot of us have talked about the different people the players in this uh, game of dark money and certainly at the top would be um, the Koch brothers. You know, you guys are familiar with it and they have a long um, running history. They have been working on this for um, about four decades because one of them actually ran for office. And when he couldn't get involved in politics, like people, you know, the rest of the people in the country, um, did he decided that he would make his voice known by creating a network basically that allowed him to have a voice um, in politics and um, the laws that affect us and they built a, a pipeline essentially a network and it it, it goes deep and, and there are many of them I think uh, one of theirs is American for Prosperity but I'm going to be putting something up in the Jumbotron, another one of these big, because some of these networks, they're like umbrellas uh, of Dartmouth and, and a lot of others flow out of that. Uh, I'd like to get to uh, talking about Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, who is um, to dark money, what Mark Elias is to, you know, voting rights and, you know, um, court um, cases um, regarding our voting rights and, and attacks on our democracy. He has presented the Disclose Act and it has uh, gotten a, a lot of traction and we're hoping that we can get it passed. So I did ask a couple of people to report on some organizations that come under the umbrella of some of these larger ones and we'll get to them. I do have a few people that I, I have brought up that I am gonna be bringing up. And um, like I said, we do what we do here. Sometimes the co uh, conversation meanders in many different directions, but it's always focused uh, for uh, first and foremost on democracy and, the, and, and how those things relate to the state of our democracy. So um, enough from me. I am going to um, call, get Greg because I know that he's often joining us while we're working. I want to give him an opportunity to say hello, good afternoon, and um, then we'll go from there. How are you? Um, Q, I see you up there. Uh, I will get to you after Greg, if that's okay, because I know Greg pops in on his lunch hour and it's limited. So thank you guys for being so gracious when we do that. And thank you guys for popping in, um, you know, when you have limited uh, amount of time. So good to see you, dear. How are you? Thank you. How are you, Dee? Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. How are you, soul sister? I'm great. Thank you so much, Greg. I hope you're doing well today. I'm doing great. I want to just want to say I want to. I just want to say everybody in this room, Dee and Soul Sister. Hi, Doctor Pascal. Say shout out. Hey, Miss Martine. What's up? Oh, Allie. How are you doing, Shauna? Miss D. Oh my God, the girls are here. Yes. I want to say the opportunity of over the weekend. Over the weekend, I just wanted to say you you ladies are the most beautiful thing in this room. And I have to say, I felt the love and felt the energy of 
so much support. You you came through and be like the rock, the pillar of protecting your own. You have stepped up to the plate. You have taken me in as a brother, which I felt the love. And I just want to say, bottom of my heart, I'm so thank I I heart you all. And I know I'm a little bit, a little bit, a little bit passionate and loyal and everything like that. But I just want to low key say, you guys rock, you guys rock because um, the, the you you are the the you are the moment and you are one hundred percent the most wisest woman in the room. You see the big picture just like I do. And um, we just see what is at hand with democracy. Democracy is this. So I just want to take a little page off of what is democracy mean. I am so angry what happened yesterday in at Colorado. Um, it breaks my heart. It's the theme that I have been saying. For a while on my page, I know people say they don't want to see it. I don't care. When you target gay men and trans people and and my community, this what happens. We could say, oh, it's the GOP, but it also comes within our own community, each and every one of us communities. You can't blame it and say the GOP. You can't blame it, oh, it's Bernie Bros. You can't blame it, it's such and such a community. You can't blame it. And the blame goes all around. Okay? The blame goes all around. When you see something, say something. Because to me... Absolutely. Because the thing is, people turn around it and try to, what's the word? Try to say, oh... You said this to this person. You say that when when a gay person or a trans person say that's transphobic, when a gay person say it's homophobic, believe them. They know what they are seeing. Just like how black people see when we see when Donald Trump saying racist things. Do you need to wait for them to say the N word to say it's called racism? Black people, no. So why are you doing the same crap when a, when a gay person turned around and say the or a trans person say that's homophobic and that's transphobic? Do you have to wait for them to tell wait to hear the F word or the T word how they use it as a slur? Some of you on this app don't see your friends do it all the time and say seeing the abuse that goes along in the community, and you also participated by staying, staying in silence. Silence is the number one weapon of why the hate breeds. Silence is the way how Donald Trump came to power. This is where it's the key. Donald Trump, my, I'm from New York. This is how Donald Trump and his partner Redline black people back in the 70s, the state, the U.S. government had to go and find them. Donald Trump 
has villainized the Central Park Five, who was exonerated because he wanted to publicly lynch them. Donald Trump asked for Barack Obama for his birth certificate, and we were screaming, but other people didn't listen. Why are you not playing, don't understand those same lessons apply when it comes to anti-Semitism, homophobia, and transphobia? All these lessons are all connected. It's time for our community who is on the internet need to step up. You need to grow up and get out of that childlike mindset of saying this narrow mind and saying this what about ism. It's not about what about ism. It's about what is right. And knowing what is right and what is wrong. Because if they came for me, they're going to come for you. And that's how the vicious cycle goes. And that's the same thing where everybody is now learning that lesson with how Kanye, because everything is all connected with Kanye too. Kanye turned around and talked crap about the black community. Then he went and graduated to the to different part of the communities. That's what they be doing. That's how hate spreads. They want to see how further does it, how further that hate will spread. You understand what I mean? And you can't say you're a good ally because I really want to get back and just round things out. Don't say you're a good ally to the LGBTQ community and saying that you wish and hope and love, hope and, and blessings about the shooting while you was kikiing with your friends about pushing out, pushing out homophobic rhetoric towards someone else. You understand what I mean? That's called. You have to. Mm-hmm. It's enabling. And, exactly. And... It's enabling. And the enabler, it's, that's what it is. And you have to stop it in the bud. Because to me, if you keep keying about it in the threads and you don't understand, it's very hurtful to see people keep keying about it and then turn around next two days later, oh, they, um, they they heart goes out to the the people the victims at the club queue. That's phoniness and that's hypocrisy right there. But it really is. It and, really... and people need to understand that how this ties in. It's I mean, of course we have we have an issue with with gun violence in this country first of all, but then um, certain communities being targeted is also an issue. There is a very, very distinct, fast-moving movement, um, an anti-trans movement, um, where legislation and things are being passed. So this spills over into our um, need to pay attention to politics and how it is disenfranchising people and how it is perhaps bringing harm to certain demographics and people of our community. So I understand what you're saying, Greg, and people need to understand um, how things that they they um, uh, enable um, continues and, and furthers this or how their silence, you know, furthers it. So go ahead. Hey, exactly. Because look at it. All look at the legislation down in Florida, as you could say, don't say gay. All in the red state. Do you not know that the rhetoric that you're pushing online further the goals of making our the red state then um, the red state members um 
they, I'm trying to get the words out. Do you not know you're endangering the lives of people who live in the red state? Gay and lesbian and trans people lives in, are in danger in the red state when you push this rhetoric online. There is a troublemaker on the line that has over a million followers has been targeting gay clubs and drag queens. I'm not going to say the person that account name, but the account have over a million people. And that's where it is. And when you it's, they purposely spread the hate and the chaos. And they took this morning D, she was spreading and she didn't have no no self-awareness, no regard to human life. She was spreading that hate first thing in the morning. Well, that too is it. This ties into the topic that, you know, I want us to kind of, you know, weave into our conversation here today about dark money. Because what happens is oftentimes, like I told you about the big network, okay? Um, the way that um, these um, organizations work, they're, they're created um, with intentions, with agendas. And part of the way that they do that is they, um, they target intellectuals. That means people who may teach in colleges or people who have uh, voices and influences and are considered intellectuals or academics um, who um, think like they do. So they then funnel a lot of money into them to promote them and to amplify them. So then you have the intellectuals producing these ideas, generally ideas that are anti-government, you know, and they're um, anti-democratic. Uh, and they target uh, most people who are not in their very, very uh, small elite club of billionaires, uh, classes, because it's a classist uh, kind of ideology because it's about 400 rich people basically it's a billionaires club um, that are running and involved in all these different networks and so what they do they find these intellectuals to push these ideas and then once the intellectuals and they fund them and they help them and they put lots of money into the colleges and the things that surround them and then once the intellectuals' ideas have circulated and bubbled up enough, uh, they then go over into think tanks, again, which are funded by these people, um, this dark money. And they, in, within the think tank, they formulate these ideas that have been pushed by the intellectuals into policy papers. That's the next step. And then after they have formulated these policy papers, that's their marketing material, they start pushing that out, whether mailers and things like Ms. Martine had talked about last week, um, just sort of um, going to politicians, to media types and influencers. So they're all talking from the same talking points, okay? And after the, tink, uh, the think tanks have formulated the po uh, t uh, policy papers and the talking points, they then go out further and they fund front groups that give the appearance of being grassroots kind of groups um, that have sprung up and they are grassroots that they have cobbled together, basically crisis actors around an idea that they want to push, like anti-trans and all of this, and they start funding it or anti-abortion or... or, or um, 
you know, gun rights, whatever it is, they fund these organizations and, and these people's voices get really, really loud. So that starts to gain traction in the media and people think that it's organic. And so then um, people who are running for office then have someone to point to to say, I'm running for them. I'm running to to fix that for them or to help them. And so it pushes them. And then, of course, they definitely are funding the candidates and the politician. And once they're elected, they are in the place to be able to institute the laws and the legislations that these rich oligarchs are seeking. That's the cycle. That's the pipeline. That's how it works. And right now there is a very distinct push on um, theocratic kinds of um, ideology because there are different factions even within this huge, you know, dark money group, you know, uh, but there are two things that they never divert from. You know, they, they may have differing ideas on some policies and ideas and things, but they all want taxes low for them and they all want uh, regulations cut you know and most of the the big money funders are usually like some of the largest polluters um, in our country and of course um, then you have a faction in there that has a religious um, vent, uh, a bend like the DeVos family they're part of it and, and they're big on the religion so they form their own networks under this umbrella to then push this these theocratic beliefs and ideology and, and they're going so far as now trying to fund schools so that then they can indoctrinate these people and, and, and the cycle keeps repeating until they actually change the conversation and the laws in our country and that is how our democracy is being subvert, uh, subverted. So go on, continue, Greg, and if you can kind of wind up, because we do have... Uh... Oh, no, I, 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 actually, I really love what you're saying. You really tie everything all together, and I don't want to monopolize the space because you've got a lot of great speakers and everything like that, but I just want to say, I just want to say like this, everything is all connected. Just be mindful and just say if you... And like, let's just say like this, moving forward in, in, in closing, be mindful of your surroundings, be mindful and be aware of what you say and don't say. Words means a lot of things and saying nothing means all is more deadly than saying something. So when you see somebody turn around and say mm, comments like putting he, he needs to put something in their mouth. That's homophobic. That's what you have to call it out because if it was the other way around of saying was a if a man said that to a woman, that would have been sexist or misogyny. So just be mindful for that and just be aware of it's not don't do it for me. I'm already grown, but I'm fighting for the the next generation. I'm fighting for my nephews my nephew. I'm fighting for all those kids who are alone who's being picked in schools at six years old because of being different. And that's who I'm fighting for is I'm standing up for them who've been bullied every day. So be kind to be kind and, and when you see it call it out. On that note, Dee, you have, yeah. a, great, you have a great show. And have a great show. I'm gonna Thank jump down you. to. Uh, I'm gonna try to listen, but 
I'm probably it's I'm gonna probably be seeing you a lot of times on Mondays because I'm all right. So um, let's all right, it. sweetie. Well, thank you so much for dropping in. And again, it's good to you know to hear your voice always. And I'm glad you're doing well and just continue to protect your peace. Um, and um, you know we're gonna look out for you, and we have to call things out, and we cannot be silent. And that is in you know protecting of marginalized uh, um, people, uh, communities, and um, and and laws. You know, I read that um, quote from Martin Neumoller quite frequently in this space, and Greg said it. It's true. I mean, they may be targeting someone that is not directly, you know, affected that you're not directly affected by, but eventually they will get to you. We just can't have this in our country. We shouldn't. So up next, we've got Q, and then I'm going to get to one of my speakers who I have asked to kind of um, help um, put some um, depth um, and pull back the layers on this dark money, and that would be Mark. And um, Ms. Martine has um, gathered some information that she's going to share with us as well. So Q, you're up next. Um, Mark and then Ms. Martine. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you, as always, for hosting this space, Ms. D, and for co-hosting Soul Sister. Um, I think that was a great way to open the space considering what has been happening, what happened uh, over the weekend in Colorado Springs, um, which I think, again, ties into what the topic at hand is in terms of, you know, dark money. Um, you know, Colorado Springs um, is home to the largest sort of Christian um the focus on the family is in Colorado Springs. Um, it's really a Christian fascist group. Um, and so when you talk about dark money, and this is why I'd said before, you know, I know there was a lot of democracy is on the ballot, uh, this particular past midterms. And, you know, I made the point that democracy is always on the ballot. And Citizens United was decided in 2010. And the impact of Citizens United has really eroded, has gone to very much erode our democracy. You have a lot of people who say we're more so an, an oligarchy as opposed to a democracy because of dark money and sort of a small group of very wealthy people who really influence elections. Um, I remember reading a statistic where 86% of all outside spending in federal elections in the past 30 years has come in the 10 years since the Citizens United decision. So the thing that makes it very dangerous and why it's called dark money is because these things are untraceable. The money is untraceable. Um, you've definitely, I believe, got foreign money that is coming in to sort of influence the elections. Um, Russia and the Saudis obviously come to mind as the first two, two countries, um, which is why, I, you know, I support, first of all, our election season is way too long. I forget what country it is. It's like, y'all got four weeks or six weeks to figure this stuff out. It's publicly financed. There ain't a whole bunch of like 50-11 debates 
that are going on. You have a very limited amount of time to make your case and have your elections. Um, and so, you know, I, I think either small money donations with a cap um, or just simple publicly financed elections where each side has a certain amount and that be the end of it. But that decision, and I know that there are bills, um, I know that the Democrats have uh, put forth um, in terms of reforming the campaign finance system um, about curbing, you know, shell companies uh, that allow foreign money to enter that undermines our d- democracy. Um the disclosure of online political ads, you know, you had Stephen Miller, I believe, who was pushing these just blatantly racist um, political ads in certain swing states. I mean, a lot of these ads just got blatantly racist this election cycle. It's not new uh, in terms of uh, what Republicans have done in terms of, you know, darkening people's skin. That's not new. And uh, but it just got seemed to just get out of control. Like they're 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 no longer having the kitchen table talk. It's no longer a dog whistle. It's a full, you know, a bullhorn. Um, They are saying the quiet part out loud. Um, But the reform also, you know, it stops big money contributors and special interests from hiding their funding sources. I mean, that's where, like I said, the whole dark part comes from and it's very influential um so this issue is you know and it also leads into things you know the judicial aspect of it um redistricting uh you know you want to talk about gerrymandering all the things that have led to the eroding i mean and again when you want to talk about judicial decisions because dark money obviously influences our judicial system when the Voting Rights Act was gutted. So these continual erosions. Yeah, they, they create initiatives and projects for the things that they want to, to target. And they right. absolutely spent a lot of money to get rid of, you know, like um, those things. Yeah. yeah. The voting rights. So, and- yes. So that this dark money issue needs to be resolved or else this is just going to be a continual problem. And now that you've got social media. I mean, you've just got so many factors that go in and there are so many ways to be able to hide this money. But I mean, I kind of support the arguments. Like, I mean, obviously our votes count. I think, you know, this past election obviously showed that voting matters. And there are a lot of results that you can obviously tie to dark money in terms of some places, you know, Republicans had more success than they needed to because of gerrymandering. Now, Democrats gerrymandered as well, but Republicans do it in a very blatant targeting of black people sort of, uh, of way, targeting marginalized groups. That mess that they did in, I think it was either Louisiana or Mississippi. That uh, they has do like it a... all over the place. And, yeah. You know, Ron DeSantis. I mean, they did it here. Yes. They, yeah. uh, we now only have um, one democratic representative and you know and you know the communities that they carved up um to disenfranchise them 
Yes. So I'll just end by saying I hope that one of the things that really gets pushed in the upcoming Congress um, is for there to be election reform because this dark money, it is dangerous. Um, and again, you, uh, you know, elected officials are basically servants to their donors. That's what also makes it dangerous because when you have these polls that come out and you have overwhelming support for certain reforms and it's like, okay, you're supposed to be the representative of my district or as a senator of my state, and 80% of us are in support of something that you won't pass. Well, it's because they're servants of the people that are donating to their big money donors. Um, and it can be said for both sides, but particularly dangerous, particularly with this rise in you know, anti-gay rhetoric and whatnot, is what makes this topic um, of extreme importance for us to get a handle on before it gets worse than it already is. And I can't imagine how it can get much worse. So I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have to say, what maybe some other experts who know, you know, some more detail about it and what efforts are being done. I mean, that's why one of the people that I donate to Mark Elias, um, for the people who are in court, like recently, you know, I saw that Fulton County had to open up Saturday early voting because that was another way that they were trying to disenfranchise the vote. Like, they're relentless. Was, yeah. And that's why I scream about the courts. I screamed a bit like that was my biggest fear. All this Trump stuff. I was like, if he wins and is able to put Supreme Court judge and that is exactly what happened. So thanks yeah. again for this space. And again, I'm looking, really looking forward to hearing what other people have to say on this very, very important topic. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, helping us, um, you know, to um, kind of focus on it and, and point to areas where it does exist and the problems that they create within our democracy. And I do think it is an important topic for us to have. And, and it's going to be one of those that we need to continue to have so that people are understand how it operates and 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 how it's working because it's it's insidious and and they uh, now they've honed it to perfection so they're really really good at you know like just deciding where they need to to focus and you know they can pop a group together and in no time and the system is already there and one of the things um like that once they started getting the uh, politicians at, into you know Congress, um, the next step was then the judiciary. And you have heard, I'm sure, Senator Whitehouse and, and, and others talk about now we have a captured Supreme Court bought by dark money, uh, basically um, steered and, and orchestrated uh, by the Federalist Society. And, and they're a, a big player in that umbrella, too. But, you know, uh, Council of uh, National Policy is is the big umbrella and the Federalists fall under them um, as well. But they all have their mission. And, and most of it is uh, anti-government. They they are not interested in, in having a democracy at all. And keep in mind that the the big funders and donors of this, they're not the only ones, but the Cokes, they gar garnered kind of all the people together, so to speak. But, you know, the history of their family, these, their father, 
um, was a scientist who um, had um, like the ability to create something that helped oil refinery, um, you know, modernize it and, and do it in a really great way. And he did this for Stalin. He uh, built an infrastructure over there for him. And he built an infrastructure for Hitler. Okay. And then he came back here to America. And he conflated some of the communists, because I think a couple of his engineer friends, scientist friends may have gotten killed by Stalin. And so he was against communism and, and conflating, you know, our social safety nets with communism. And they were like to the right, but, you know, to the far, far right. They, I mean, you know, like um, almost falling off the cliff, you know, in the libertarian wing of the, of the party. And it has always been, they, they were, and that's where the, the anti-government um, ideology comes from, kind of implanted um, in their upbringing, shaped by their dad. So uh, that is very steeped in their ideology and their um, intention and movement. And they have helped to shape that ideology and implant that suspicion of government. Um, and they're definitely anti-union, you know, labor, uh, organized labor. But I just wanted to throw that out there. And thanks again, Q. And I want to get on to our next panelist, which is Mark, um, then Miss Martine, and then I'm going to open it to Ali and Kevin. So welcome, Mark, and thank you so much for agreeing to kind of help uh, flesh out this conversation for us today. Hey, hey, thank you, Dee, and uh, hopefully everybody can hear me. And hey, Soul Sister, good good to see you again um, electronically and, and auditorily. <laughs> um, yeah, let me break this. I, I, I want to, uh, as we spoke on, on DMs, I want to kind of go back and break it down a little bit. Um, not just Dark Money, but Citizens United even before that, but... Uh, one of the things Q made me think of, um, I had like, you know, I was going to say something else, but Anthony Kennedy. Uh, Anthony Kennedy is the bane of our existence um, because not only was he the majority opinion writer for Citizens United, um, but remember, it was him who all of a sudden, for no compelling reason, he resigns and we get Kavanaugh, too. So in, in the past 20 years, almost to the date. Um, well, actually, not in the past 20 years, in the past 12 years, Anthony Kennedy has been responsible for two major Supreme Court uh, earthquakes or, or movements that have 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 struck a balance uh, in our democracy uh, from at least the Article three judiciary perspective that uh, has changed the course of, of uh, or could change the course of American history. But um, before we even start talking about Citizens United, we have to go back to. Um, I think actually, Q, you were talking about um, you wanting some some, you know, legislation, um, some uh, electoral reform. Well, <clears throat> that, you know, I was going to start with that back in 2002. We had the bipartisan we had what's called the BCRA. We had the bipartisan campaign reform act. Um, that was John McCain's big thing. It's, it's actually launched him um, into the national spotlight uh, because it's the McCain fine goal like resolution where. Both parties actually wanted to control corporations. Um, so what they did was they they wanted to prohibit national political party committees from raising or spending any funds not subject to federal limits. So they wanted to limit national campaigns. But uh, what's more pertinent 
um, is what they want to do is they wanted to prohibit electioneering communications within 30 days of primaries and 60 days of of um, general elections. Now, part of this, I'm going to be able to do my Oakland stuff. Uh, other parts of this, I'm going to be a little bit more professorial because it's complicated and Citizens United is not easy to explain without explaining it. I can't get like, you know, I can't I can't come with that Ryan Coogler Black Panther open for y'all, but like, you know, I'm gonna try to do my best. I'm gonna try to do my best. Um, so, um, what, I mean, Citizens United was like the little train that could, right, for the Republican Party. It, it was just a little old case. It, it, it wasn't even a big case. Um, sorry, that was like a box that fell open. It was just a little old case. All they wanted to do was show a video that criticized Hillary Clinton. Um, but because of the, you know, the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, they couldn't do it. So they like filed a lawsuit. And and so here's here's like the background part of how this all occurred with Anthony Kennedy. So originally, John, right. Well, um, here's how, why elections matter, because John Roberts was um, uh, George Bush's appointee and uh, George W. And. Um, he wrote, he originally wrote the majority opinion for um, Citizens United, um, and it was to let them show the video. That was it. Y'all can show the video. Like there's not, I don't see anything in the BCRA that should forbid you from showing the video. You should be allowed to do it. But a good old Anthony Kennedy, you know, well, the reason why I mentioned Anthony Kennedy because he's he was a supposed moderate. Um, he was the the five four guy that sometimes was with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, sometimes w- was with Antonin and, and Clarence Thomas, who I always hate to. I, I you guys know I, I I just dislike that guy. He replaced Thurgood Marshall, and I just I just don't think he deserved. deserved I know that it's guy. disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> it's disgusting to even mention his name. <laughs> uh, I'm just it's just like it, it makes me want to vomit every time. Um. And I, I'm not I'm not saying that for any Uncle Tom reason. I just think he's he, I think he's like the he's not intellectual enough to have been a Supreme Court justice. I, I just, you know, having read his opinions, multiple, multiple ones, uh, I, I'm just I'm ashamed of him. Um, <clears throat> but Anthony Kennedy. So um, Anthony Kennedy wrote a concurring opinion. He wanted to go. He wanted to go further than the issue what that was presented. Both parties had given their oral arguments already. They were already, the majority opinion had been written and like they were going to be allowed to play their video. But Anthony Kennedy was like, wait a second, there's more of a First Amendment depth here. Um, these are uh, uh, companies and associations are groups of people. Right. So that like, you know, when we talk, start, talk, I'm, you know, where I'm going with this. Right. Corporations are people, too. Well, that was Anthony Kennedy's idea. The rest of the Supreme Court wasn't even thinking about this, not even Scalia. He was. But they were like. Oh, so they convinced John Roberts to let Anthony Kennedy write the majority opinion after he wrote the concurring opinion. So because they did that and presented more issues than the parties had argued, they had to schedule a re-argument based upon Anthony Kennedy's concurring opinion. So they invited the parties back to re-argue the Citizens United case based upon all these other issues regarding um, corporations and associations of people. The reason why that's important is because the First Amendment um, prohibits Congress from you know, allowing people to freedom of association. 
So what Anthony Kennedy was saying was, hey, since associations are are uh, groups of people, how do we discern between groups of people and associations, newspapers, books, televisions and blogs? It's like these are all they, they're all they all have First Amendment rights. That's how we get corporations are people, too. So what happened? <laughs> See, what it happened was that's where I get that open stuff. Right. What happened was this. This has been campaign finance reform has been 100 years in the making. Even as recent as 1990, there was a case called Austin versus Michigan Chamber of Commerce that allowed the prohibition of election spending by incorporated entities. And there's another FEC, uh, McConnell versus FEC in 2003. They restricted corporate spending on electioneering uh, communications, meaning corporations paying for ads to like, you know, uh, 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 denigrate a, uh, a an opposing candidate from one they favor, right? They, they, they didn't want corporations involved. And, and mind you, in 2002, both parties were like, this is not cool, right? So in this court in 2010, they overruled those um, and freed corporations, including nonprofit organizations, to spend money on electioneering communications and directly advocate for candidates. Um, and John Paul Stevens was like, damn, dude, what's wrong with y'all? I mean, he was like offended. It was like actually his his dissenting opinion got hecka personal, or should I say, because I'm from Oakland, hella personal. Uh, he was like, "This is a rejection of common sense." Quote: "This is a rejection of common sense of the American people who have recognized the need to prevent corporations from undermining self government." But what Just- Justice Kennedy was saying is like, "Hey, man, the First Amendment does not distinguish between media and other corporations." Um, so. Um, the the bipartisan campaign reform act that both sides of Congress, who represent the actual people, right? The, the, that's all the conservatives always say is right. You know, the uh, the judiciary should not be making law; they should be like you know deferring to the people who will, they're not elected, right? Um, conservatives always say this, except when they when these rulings come about, and and like you know partly because of dark money, but like there was dark money before dark money, but now there's hell of dark money. Um, but it, but Justice Kennedy was like, this improperly allows Congress to suppress political speech. And he brought in newspapers, books, um, and uh, television and blogs, right? So it freed corporations and unions to spend money both on electioneering communications and to directly advocate for the election or defeat of candidates. Um, although it left in, though, that they could not contribute directly to candidates or political parties. Um, so how'd they get there, right? How'd they get there? So they got there through freedom of the press um, and uh, um, on, in the First Amendment, associations of individuals in addition to individual speakers and, and that um, they, the, the Congress cannot pro- prohibit speech based on the identity of the speakers. And that's how they got to um, corporations are our people, too. Um, <clears throat> so what he did, what 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 happened was so what what the effect was. Right. What the effect was, it opened the door for incorporated entities to spend on political messaging advocating for or against candidates and remove time restrictions on spending uh, spending mentioning candidates that stop short. But that wasn't the thing. That wasn't the thing, right? Citizens United was about playing a videotape. How we got to dark money is the next case that came about. Um, it was another case called um, Speech Now versus FEC that used the same logic of um of citizens united um there was there was limitations still in place with regard to 
to uh, Citizens United. There were still federal limits that even though you felt, even though Anthony Kennedy and his and his ilk um, felt, and I, you, you can tell in my voice and in my inflection that I have disdain for Anthony Kennedy because that resignation was bullshit and like he gave us Kavanaugh. That was like a, that was a, that was a deal, like the mob. Um, but I stand, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Um, this case that the, I call it the progenies because like the cases that come after the main case is, are the progeny of the case. So like, for instance, Griswold v. Connecticut, the progeny of Griswold v. Connecticut, which is the right to privacy case, uh, resting on the penumbra of rights that are unenumerated in the Constitution, would be Roe versus Wade, and then Lawrence versus Texas, um, and and some of those uh, other cases that that give substant substantive due process rights to individual citizens. Um, this case, speech now, um, the federal appeals court using the logic of Citizens United. Um, they re- they said, hey, look, hey man, I, I, we we are going to follow the Supreme Court. Outside groups could accept unlimited contributions, both from individual donors and corporations, as long as they do not give directly to candidates. This is what gave you super PACs. That case, Speech Now versus FEC in 2010, is what gave birth to the super PACs. And the identity of the donors to the super PACs, um, even though they were identified, they, that was as what became the secret, you know, that's where the secret money started to seep in where they didn't have to be really identified because as long as they got, um, they uh, not only unlimited amounts, but the identity of the donors wasn't even identified. Um, so what happened after that? Um, in other words, um, what happened after Citizens United and Speech Now is that PACs were no longer bound by spending limits on what they can collect or spend. Also, um, they're still required to disclose their donors, but those donors can include these other groups that, we don't know who they are, um, which we call, you know, dark groups or the monies from which they begat dark money, um, which make it, it makes the original source of the money unclear. That's how you get like he was just talking about foreign entities contributing not directly to candidates, but to these super PACs through these other entities that use that money and, and, and basically launder the money through this funnel of unidentified sources. And then all of a sudden it goes to the Federalist Society. Um, and even though they're technically prohibited from coordinating directly from candidates, they still do. So dark money then comes from this citizen. And I think Q actually said, I don't even need to go through that. Q kind of, kind of gave the, uh, the, and I think D is going to talk about this a little bit more, gave the uh, economic breakdown of, of how dark money increased. Cause you can actually track it through the super PACs, how the super PAC spending increased and the effect of citizens United was almost immediate. Um, it's quantified immediately as to what happened. And now we know what happened because look where the Supreme Court's at right now. That was the whole purpose of the thing in the first place. So I just wanted to give a breakdown of how that all transpired and how this, how uh, even John Paul Stevens was like, this ain't right how y'all did this in the Supreme Court. Y'all wrote an opinion, then y'all changed who wrote the opinion, then you wrote a different opinion. And those issues weren't even originally presented to you, but you decided you're going you're gonna to talk about the issues anyway. Um, but, you know, at that point, actually, uh, uh, Justice Kagan was a solicitor general who, who's a justice now. She she had to do two arguments for Citizens United. And she was like, what the fuck? Like, why am I coming back here? Um, so that's where we are. Um, and dark money being the election related spending where the source is secret. Citizens United contributed to uh, a major jump in this spending. And it comes, you know, it, a majority of it comes from these nonprofits that are not required to disclose their donors 
And that's where we are right now. So can we get to more uh, campaign refinance? Not through the Supreme, not 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 based upon the constitutional uh, interpretation of the Supreme Court. Is there another way to do it? We have yet to see. But this is what Sheldon Whitehouse is talking about, man. Um, and, you know, I, I like to listen to that dude. And like I was glad that D, uh, you know, tapped me to, to, you know, do this little background on a legal basis, because this is some serious business um, when it comes to dark money and, and how how we got to dark money, um, because it, th- this has been going on, man, for years. Like since 2002, they've been working against the the, the bipartisan campaign reform act. Think about they that. St- they started putting these their network together in the 70s, like building their pipeline, and they just kept getting better and better. And and uh, Senator uh, Whitehouse, like he says, he said two of the worst things is uh, in bit super PACs and uh, the 501 um, 4C or something like that. Yeah, because those are those are the vehicles. Those are the the main vehicles. And, and if you don't think dark money got to Anthony Kennedy and didn't get to Anthony Kennedy to help him resign and how silent he's been. I mean, I, I don't even know. Does he even have a book coming? I, you know, I, I haven't heard. He might have even had a book coming. Out, I don't know. But usually like Supreme Court justices, when they retire, they, they write a they write a book forthwith. Um, but that dude retired so quick. Like, I'm like, dude, some of these people die in court. Like, right. Ruth Ginsburg didn't give it up till she she was dead. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the other Antonin Scalia, Thurgood Martin. I mean, like, you know, these you don't just like resign from the Supreme Court. He did what he did with haste. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, hey, man, dark money. And, and like to write that up. And Anthony Kennedy was supposed to be kind of like the friend of the of the um, the left side of the court. He was no friend to democracy on June 9, 2010. I can tell you that. You're right about that. And uh, Mark is always a great uh, legal overview of of this and how we got here. Uh, I can't wait to hear some of the other contributions that I know um, we will be getting. So next up, we have Miss Martine, then Allie, uh, then um, Danny, and then uh, Mark with the K. Thank you, Dee. And uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. Um, it's good to see you again, so Soul Sister um, in the co-host um, spot there. Um, I just wanted to um, talk about money in our politics, the dark money, and how that influences our politics. Now, last week we talked about um, fake newspapers showing up on Um, doorsteps across the country. And I promised then that I would um, let people know um, where that uh, funding is coming from for those particular publications. And um, I put an article in the the nets that talks about one of the major funders of um, dark money that is um, infiltrating your doorsteps with propaganda. Um, the fake newspaper that's showing up in your mailbox was paid for by Peter Thiel. Um, in the case that we spoke about, again, about the uh, newspapers that came to my home, I wanted to find out exactly where are they coming from. 
and he, along with others, are responsible for those types of publications coming to our homes. Um, also, another prominent person involved in the, the funding of these newspapers um, is a man by the name of Brian, um, I want to say is um, Tapone, it might be Tapone, I'm not exactly sure about the pronunciation of his last name. Also, in association with a conservative radio voice and a Republican political strategist by the name of Dan Proft, and it's P-R-O-F-T. Um, and the company is responsible for dozens of conservative news sites across Illinois, from Chicago to East St. Louis. And in an editorial um, that was written, Mr. Prof identified himself as a principal in the company, which owns a Chicago City Wire, and that's the paper that showed up on my doorstep. Now we may ask ourselves, well, who is Peter Thiel? Um, he's an American billionaire, entrepreneur, um, a venture capitalist, a political activist. He's also the, or one of the co-founders of PayPal. Um, Planeteer Technologies um, is one of his companies as well. And um, he's part of the Founders Fund. Let's see, he was uh, also one of the first outside investors of Facebook. He is a major GOP donor and a funder of these fake newspapers that are showing up across the nation. Um, which leads me to um, speaking about an organization um, who helps to push out these conservative viewpoints and agendas. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Cato Institute. And just to give some small background on who the Cato Institute is, um, the Cato Institute is an American libertarian think tank. It's headquartered in Washington, D.C. And it was founded, it was founded in uh, 1977, I think I have to look in my notes. Yeah, 1977 um, by a gentleman by the name of Ed Crane, um, Murray um, Rothbard, and Charles Koch of the Koch brothers. Um, Cato was established to have a focus supposedly on public advocacy, media exposure, and societal influences. And according to the uh, 2020 Global Go-To Think Tank Index report, this think tank's um, civil and uh, social programs, I'm sorry, society programs, of the University of Pennsylvania. They listed Cato as number 27 in the top think tanks worldwide and number 13 in the uh, top think tanks in the United States. The Cato Institute is a libertarian um, think tank. Their philosophy, and that's their, philo their political philosophy, I should say. Um, and they advocate 
a limited role in government and domestic and foreign affairs, as well as a strong protection of civil liberties. Um, this includes um, support for lowering um, or abolishing most taxes, um, opposition to the uh, federal um, reserve system, and the Affordable Care Act, the privatization of numerous um, government agencies and programs, including Social Security and the United States Postal Service, um, demilitarizing um, the police and also um, many um, other foreign policy issues that affect us here in the United States. Um, they have a ton of areas of which they try to influence our politics. Um, they have areas of banking and finance, constitutional law, criminal justice, defense and foreign policy, our education system, free speech and civil liberties, um, a global freedom, government and politics, our health care, immigration, monetary policies, poverty and social welfare, um, public opinion, uh, regulation is really big with them, um, tax and budget policy is, is another um, big area for them, technology and privacy, and just tr and trade policy. Um, Cato's uh, scholars have consistently called for the privatization of many other government um, agencies. Um, the NSA, um, Social Security Board, and Administration, um, the United States Postal Service, and the Transportation Security Administration, public schooling, public transportation systems, and public broadcasting. The institution also opposes minimum wage laws, saying that um, these laws violate freedom of um, contract and thus um, private uh, property rights. Um, an increase in unemployment is one of their um, areas of advocacy. And let me see, what else did I want to make a note of? Uh, and also, it opposes um, expanding overtime regulations, arguing, right. yeah, arguing that um, it would benefit some employees in the short term while costing jobs and lowering wages for others and have no meaningful long-term impact. It opposes child labor pro, um, pro, um, prohibition, which is crazy to me. When I read right. that, like, are they for real? Yeah, I mean, they're really anti-labor and, and any type of, of protection things. But if you could kind of wind it up, because I, I want to get to a couple of the others, because the list of, of, you know, like some of their list of the things that they're against, they do intersect and they are long. And the list of these different organizations who have these initiatives 
are long. I mean, and I appreciate you diving into the Cato Institute because they have uh, definitely done a lot of work um, to subvert our democracy and they have been around a long time. And we're going to keep, you know, naming some of these others. So I'm going to let you kind of, you know, bring it home there and we'll get to some of the others and we'll come back to you because I know you did a lot of, you know, deep diving on that. So I want to hear more from you on that, but I do want to get some of our other hands in. So um, I'm going to let you wrap it up. And then after that, um, let me see, uh, Kevin, because I'm sorry, I overlooked you, Kevin, Allie, um, uh, Danny, and Mark. Okay, if you want to come back to me, you can. That's fine. All right. Okay. All right. So, Kevin, I'm sorry. I look, um, I didn't see you because you didn't have your little hand up, but I remember you came up. You, Allie, um, Danny, and Mark. Thanks, Dean. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. How are you today? Fantastic. Good. <laughs> so, to Mark and to the rest of the crowd here, a great topic. Uh, as always, Mark, spot on with your legal knowledge. Um, but so let me, <laughs> I'm going to go back in the room here and I'm going to be showing my age here. So when I was a wee little snapper at 10 years of age in 1976, we had the Ford administration, he was a Republican, and he had the Warren Burger SCOTUS. So he was the presiding judge, the chief justice of, of the uh, Supreme Court at that time. And so during that administration, we had the um, uh, Buckley versus Vallejo. So Buckley versus Vallejo was the first uh, time that the Supreme Court dipped their toes into the um, dark money. That is the first recorded instance where they basically said that that really they were saying that look you can't prevent people from giving money because it would contravene their first amendment right or freedom of speech and it would place a restriction on their spending for political communication and basically they're saying that well that would reduce their quantity of expression and but the one dissent on there was byron white and he basically said that uh, he, let, he recognized that limiting un, uh, unlimited election spending was needed because if we didn't, it would be a mortal danger against which effective preventive and recurring steps must be taken. And out of Buckley and Vallejo, we had <laughs> we had the eight magic words, which was <laughs> predated, all right, by I don't know. If remember, this is a little funny, but we had the seven dirty words from Carlin, so we'll skip past that because it's that point of the that point of the topic here but we had out of buckley came the eight magic words and that was basically saying that there were certain things that you could not or uh prevent or invoke you know uh, against people that were trying to express their their votes for candidates or exempt them from campaign it would exempt them from campaign finance laws so that was uh vote for elect support cast your ballot for vote against, defeat, reject, and any variations thereof. So basically, you know, you couldn't 
you know, and as long as they didn't, you know, fall into those brackets, you basically you couldn't invoke anything against them under Buckley. So then, you know, so here it is, you know, 30 years later, almost 40 years later, and we're still talking about dark money. So, yeah, it, it, it's the poison of politics. It really, that's what it comes down to. I mean, just for example, all right. So this this is going back to, all right, this whole thing of dark money. So case in point, before Citizens United, all right, dark spending in 2006 was all of maybe $5 million. 2012 comes around after Citizens, it jumped to $300 million. Dark money in that short of a time. Six that years. was also after that red map project, like the initiative. Yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, you know, the spending after that was sort of like, eh, you know, a little bit there, a little bit there. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that egregious. So, you know, now we jump forward from 2014 after, you know, last midterm, which was $216 million in spent. We get to 2020. So 2020, there was more than a billion dollars in an undisclosed spending. And of that, this is where, you know, there's this this drastic difference, which I don't really think it means a hill of beans. Some people may argue it does, but uh, of course we know the Republicans would argue that it did, but they could make the point that we got the most dark money because the registered dark money for Democrats that came in was 514 million versus Republicans, which was 200 million, which is kind of eye opening because you really think, well, most you would think or suspect that most dark money would go to Republicans. Well, case in point, that was not the, that was not the case here. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is a danger to to politics. I mean, you know, it's it's been for front and forefront for years. I mean, 76. Yeah, Kevin, let me say something because you tried to say, yeah, it does happen on both sides. Yeah. Kind of like jury mandate, but let's keep something in in mind. Specific um, demographics are not generally targeted with Democrats and also the ratio of the dark money on the right um, side is like 80 percent to 20 percent for democrats so it's kind of right. not the same saying you you see what i'm saying oh yeah yeah <laughs> they, they, there's, there's uh, no okay disagreement from me on that one i'm just pointing out you know what facts are out there and what we have to be aware of that as much as we want to point to the republicans which i will easily agree that they are the most egregious people when it comes to dark money uh there's no disagreement from there, but we are far from the cleanest hands in the room. You know, we have to uh, police ourselves as well as we police others. Well, the and, thing of it is, is it's when when it is policed legislatively, it covers everyone, so, and that is what the laws and the legislation that Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is trying to uh, put into place. Um, and he tells a funny story how. Um, 
he, you know, was talking to was one of his, one of his Republican colleagues and, you know, talking to him about how much money they're getting from dark money. And he said, yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong. He said, but um, I tell you how uh, you're going to get Republicans not to um, want it or to push legislation not to have it. And that's when Democrats start uh, getting as much or more than them. You know, and that's kind of like us getting nastier and dirtier than them. And I don't want that. So that is why we need, you know, legislation, because yeah. that's their idea. They're going to use whatever gives them the advantage. And right now, that dark money gives them the advantage. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the proof is present there, because what has happened every time we try to get one of these through Congress, who comes in and sticks a knife in it? Mitch. Mitch has been the, the blockade on this for years. I, I, just as recently as 2014, that was the last time we tried it, we did disclose that. He stepped in there and said, nope, can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to block any iterations of the Disclose Act. Yeah, so this has been going on. They, they love dark money. We know it. You know mm -hmm. it. I know it. It, it just, it's, it's the, the grace of their election ability is to get wherever they can get the money from, launder it through those organizations, the 501c4s, because those are the organizations that could take in, you know, whatever amount of money they could, and then just filter it through, and then even though it's not supposed to be going there, it should stay in the, the, the action committees, it, it is going to the, the, to the candidates. It's filtering through other, uh, how we calculate this, other people coming in with their hands saying, hey, I'm going to donate to you, but you know what? I'm not going to tell you where I got this money from. Right. And it's because you know, they don't they don't have to. They're, they're basically a middleman. You know, I'm I'm representing this group, but I'm not going to tell you where I got this money from. And right. they got how many of these mules out there? I mean, I hate to use that term because all it makes me think of is that stupid movie. But right. those, that, that's the Republicans' mules. It's, it's those mules that come in with the money from those fat groups. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and they you're right, they, they are there and and that's how they work and how they're, you know, designed um, to work to have effect because they um, are able to capture the voice uh, and, and the control of the people who have the power to change laws, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, and then uh, I, I don't remember who our last speaker was and she brought up an interesting group, but, you know, here's here's another group that's out there. They're called the Center for Competitive Politics, and it's it's led by a guy who's the former FEC chair, Bradley Smith. He he opposes any legislation that, that requires the disclosure of dark money groups. I mean, he said our view is that many people will be driven out of politics if they are forced to disclose their names and their personal information, and the purpose of disclosure is to help monitor the government, not the government. Money to the people. I mean, yeah, so, literally. I mean, he's he's saying we love dark money, don't right? And we don't want the coming from, and yeah. and and we don't want the government regulating again them. Yeah. this libertarian view. And the other thing is that a, a little note that with the passage of Citizens United, um, there were actually provisions in there for transparency. Okay. Uh, they have just not been enforced. Um, and I think um, uh, Mark was, was talking about some laws, how they have kind of 
um, prevented them from being enforced with further legislation. But the original passage of Citizens United did have a place in there for transparency. And, and the Republicans were in agreement with this. But what has happened is that they have seen how beneficial it is to them uh, not to have that transparency. So now they don't want it because I think maybe they were afraid that, you know, the left would raise more money because they've been screaming Soros, Soros, Soros forever. And they, you right. know, they were afraid that maybe Soros would just pile all this money in and so they wanted transparency. Turns out they benefited from it more. And now that they have seen that they are and have, they don't want that transparency uh, aspect enforced. But it was always there from the beginning. Yeah. And, and as, 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 as a matter of fact, you guys, um, Anthony Kennedy wrote that because of that transparency, there's little likelihood for corruption, which is why they found that the compelling state interest of the government's intervention in campaign finance reform uh, in violative of the First Amendment was de minimis, and, and that's why they, they uh, invoked strict scrutiny. They said, that, hey, look, there's going to be little or no corruption because of transparency, which was proven to be absolutely what? Wrong. Boss, boss, boss. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you, Mark. They can scream all they want about Soros, but then we have, we, we can go back at them with Cuck and Thiel and all these other you know, billionaires that are. I'm just there. not going to do yeah. the what about and the both side uh, no, uh, I'm not in, with yeah. them because it's right. clear that um, they're using it to the extreme degrees to subvert right. our democracy. So I'm just not, I'm not giving that narrative any no. air. No, and I'm just pointing that out because that's, that's where they would say we come back with that. But you know what? You're right because they want to scream that because that's their way to you know throw it in our face that you know trying to claim that we're no better than they are when they're worse than we are <laughs> exactly yeah, it's, it's simply put i mean you know and, and, and the bad thing about this is you know the fec and the irs can only do so much they they don't they're limited to their scope of how much they they can try and flesh out where the money is coming from but realistically they just don't have the staff to do it. They, they don't. Because it's just, it's pervasive right now. It, it, it's so un, unchecked and unbalanced and just all over the place. I mean, we don't know where the money's coming from. That's why we're having this conversation yeah. today, Kevin, because it is, you said the word, it is very pervasive, very insidious, because it is a huge network with tentacles in so many different places. And, and one of them, um, it, a large uh, part of them are in, you know, religious, you know, under religious umbrellas as well. But again, like I said, it's a network and it's a network that they created on purpose to do just what they're doing and they fine-tuned it over 30 40 years yep. and and they are not about to let it get shut down now because it just got cranked up to produce the results that they were hoping for that yep. is changing the the ideas just changing the way regular americans think because they have spent years helping to shape their thought process <laughs> you know well I, I, you know what and and i'm gonna sort of park my balloon right here but before i do i'm going to give a little marvelism here so you know i'm a big marvel fan and, and i'm sure a lot of people will clue on this set of marvel fans too but dark money is like a hydra you cut off one head and two more pop up and it's it's it just never ends you know hydra is always 
unless you cut off all the heads at one time, but then you're still left with a whole bunch more. But still, it's there's there's got there's there's a way to control this, and you know, right now, the only way it's going to be through Congress because the Supreme Court is bought and paid for by the Federalist Society. We know it, and, and, and you know that's that's unfortunate. And unless we would have had a, a majority of the House and a majority in the, in the Senate, then we could have got things through. But it is what it is. You know, we narrowed that. You know, so that they don't have much of a talking point. They're going to try and jam stuff down our throat, even with their slim majority. But thankfully, we have the Senate for now. But you know, we'll see what happens. You know, it, it's. This is, this is these are dangerous times, you know, with with this type of money out there because you right. we have we have all these billionaires who are unchecked, and the ones that are the questionable ones like Cock and Theo and these others, they just you know where's the money going? What are they doing with it all? I mean, what was that older couple that they were in the pop the the spotlight this past election cycle or the one before and. I, I can't think of their names, but they were throwing money left and right. Every political campaign that was out there, I was like, what are you doing? And, you know, couldn't you use your money for something else, some sort of like charity or something, as opposed to throwing it all over and muddying the waters and, you know, the, the politics of our country? You know, it just, yeah. It, it's, it's unchecked, and I'm tired of it. I, I, I really hope to God we can get something done about it. Well, we're going to push and try to help bring some spotlight to uh, amplify the push for the Disclose Act um, so that that can uh, start to um, provide um, some way of uh, checking these people. But thank you so much, um, Kevin. I appreciate you chiming in today. Uh, next up is Allie, Danny, Mark, and then Fish. Hey, you guys. Uh, nice to see everybody. Thanks, Dee. And um, lovely to see you there at Co-host Soul Sister. Um, I don't know if, if I've ever really used this phrase before, but I do have, I, it's with a heavy heart that I'm going to describe to you what I was going to focus in on today. Um, because um, I uh, am from Colorado, uh, New Mexico area. My family, a lot of my family lives in Colorado. So Colorado Springs is where the headquarters of Focus of the Family is, um, which was mentioned previously. And when uh, Dee had said what she was going to be looking at in terms of the topic being dark money, I immediately thought of how uh, much money is funneled through these pseudo-religious groups that are actually lobbying groups um, and ways to make money off of people. Um, so just a quick, and a, and so I, you know, went to university in Colorado. My brother lives in Colorado Springs. And just by coincidence, um, he lives just like a mile away where, from where the headquarters were built. This huge headquarters of Focus of the fan, Family is 46 acres um, that was built in around 2002. And we saw that uh, kind of erect from the ground up. I remember driving around in my car, you know, as it was being built and just like being astounded that so much money was available for them to build this huge uh, complex. It's, it's quite something. And uh, Focus of the Family started in 1977 in Southern California, actually, by 
a man named James Dobson. Um, and they moved to Colorado Springs in 2002. Dobson started off uh, and continued for many decades doing radio broadcasts. Um, and uh, so he started off in the late 70s with that wave of broadcasters that we've talked about, as um, Danny and Don talked about in their Fourth Estate uh, series, where there was a lot of influence by these uh, just rhetoric-filled broadcasts that were being spread out. Um, as time went by, um, they're described as an evangelical parachurch organization, um, meaning there is no actual church. There's no congregation. There's nobody who goes to church services. They are simply diffusing specific information um, that matches what their uh, ch chosen topics are that they fight about. Um, and the part that is extremely painful to talk about is that their main focus, their main target has been LGBT rights from the beginning. Um, and uh, there we have the, um, the, the, the terrible... The, attack that happened at the, the the club at q club last uh, last evening so it's really painful um same they're on different sides of town but it's just you know the, the colorado springs is an interesting place it's it's a beautiful place it is also the home of the air force academy it's the home of the olympic u.s olympic team training headquarters it's the home of multiple military installations and a big base and air force base um, you see stealth, uh, stealth airplanes flying around, people training on them when you're going around Colorado Springs. It's also a very beautiful physical area. Um, and unfortunately, once uh, focus of the family came in, they came in and brought quite a bit of money into the area. It kind of solidified Colorado Springs as a bastion of conservatism and extremism in my mind. And, and those of us who lived in Colorado at the time were really and continue to be concerned and watched it. Um, what, at, Allie, when, when did they build there? They, 2002 was when they moved in. And at that point, they had a... a um, they had a, uh, an employee base of 1,200 people that they moved from California to Colorado. By, 18, by 2008, they got to their highest point in terms of revenue of $160 million in annual revenue. Um, and by about 2010, however, their fate was starting to go downhill and they started laying people off. And those of us who were watching them were noticing this. Um, between uh, 2008 and now, uh, they reduced their staff from 1,400 employees to now 600 employees. So you've got 600 employees on that same site. They produce TV shows, movies all kinds of printed materials. They've employed, you know, Hollywood actors and actresses and stuff, all kinds of different people to um, basically propaganda. They're providing propaganda in a daily radio show, and then they have a bunch of different programs that they've provided. They support um, anti-abortion 
clinics by buying ultrasound machines and employing people to have those fake uh, counseling programs where they actually make people who are coming into needing, um, they trick people into coming into what they may need abortion services and show them with the ultrasound machines, the fetuses, and try and convince them not to have their abortions, et cetera. And then they claim they've saved, I don't know how many lives. Um, it's, uh, but the other thing they mainly do, I think, with a lot of that money is they are, they are soliciting uh, contributions, um, both from small donors and from large donors and then funneling it back into the production of um, targeted propaganda. So uh, by the time um, they, 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 tra- they started shifting as, you know, they started having money problems uh, around 2009, 2010. And they also had a change in the leadership. Do- Dobson uh, resigned he basically got, he was older and uh, was taken over by another group of uh, people who, who started shifting a bit. Um, but they have, they continue to focus in on the idea that marriage and the family, like assist, you know, to male and female is the only acceptable uh, arrangement and that children must be produced. Um and they even have things like uh, dating centers, all kinds of stuff to promote, uh, you know, counseling centers, uh, in addition to all of these media productions that they're putting together. Um, the big thing about Focus of the fa- on the Family was that in two- starting around 2012 and then finalizing in 2017, they started trying to become able to be considered a church as opposed to an organization that was um, uh, having to disclose their financial resources. Um, so when we talk about this is focus of the family is became what they call a 501c3, which means status prevents them from ad, advocating for any individual political candidate, but it also meant that they were free from having to reveal where they received their money. That became, um, in. they were successful after several years of fighting um, in the courts over this in 2017 to where that was in force and they no longer had to reveal where they were getting any of their money. At that point, they were receiving, the last time they reported, they were had received 90 million. Um, they had a, a, the revenue for 2012, which was the last time there was a clear amount was 90 million. What they did was they set up an affiliated group, which is called a 501c4, which is technically called a social welfare group, not a church, but it does. It's an affiliated group. It's called the Family Policy Alliance. Uh, legally separate groups, but they work together. And this one is clearly a lobbying um, uh, entity. They do have to reveal their uh, money, and they claimed to use about eight million towards lobbying. Now, what what's interesting about them is, uh, and then it's you know it's spread all over the world. They have 
I think they're in like 50 different countries and uh, there's been a lot of controversy. Different countries have tried to get rid of them and all kinds of stuff. They've interfered in presidential campaigns. 2008, openly supporting Mike Huckabee and then Sarah Palin. Um, they also have um, supported different Senate candidates. They Let were, me tell you right there, where uh, because the time you talked about Mike Huckabee. Now, mm-hmm. understand, Mike Huckabee is the director of another very large Christian broadcasting system, which is located here in my home county, Trinity yep. Music City, part mm-hmm. of TBN. Kind of the same thing. They're global. Yep. They've been around since 1973. So it just mm-hmm. tells you how these people mm-hmm. work. And they're all yeah. over the world. And mm-hmm. they're 24-7 broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to throw yeah. that in. Sure. They kicked into big high gear when uh, Barack Obama was running for president um, to oppose that presidency, including um, such things as, uh, so that was 2008, a variety of different lobbying uh, initiatives. Um, they support things like conversion therapy, all kinds of, you know, all of those extreme things that come under, under these pseudo-Christian uh, umbrellas that are just kind of the most horrendous things that you see. In 2010, they got to the point, they had started having this downturn in their their uh, in their finances, but they went ahead and splurged and managed to get the first Super Bowl um, advertisement with um, Tim Tebow, who became who it became the uh, quarterback for the Denver Broncos and the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, they managed to get that. Um, broadcast during the Super Bowl, which was the first time there had ever been any type of uh, religious oriented. I mean, they actually talked about anti-abortion stuff in that uh, thinly veiled commercial. CBS allowed it It was the first time ever, although there was there was much uh, protest against it. CBS allowed it saying we have for some time moderated our approach to advocacy submissions and it became that apparent that public sentiment and industry norms had changed on the issues. That means they got paid big money for that ad. Uh, they also then continued to try and broadcast during Denver Bronco games. I'll skip ahead to... Um, yeah, if you the, could kind of, because I yep. asked Danny too, and I, I want to get to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the people who have um, put some... Um, projects sure. together to share and then you know sure. have some time for some discussion but thank you so much sure uh just, you know. real quickly if i could just say so in june of 7 2017 vice president mike pence attended the organization's 40th anniversary celebration um uh, donald trump is an ally of the of the organization including its fight against planned parenthood um, and uh, Pence's attendance there was seen as so, egre- so egregious that it was criticized by the human rights uh, campaign. Um, basically, all of that money has gone dark now. Uh, the last time that anybody knew what their real budget was, was, in, uh, as I said, between 2015 and 2017. Right now, it's estimated to be $10 million. Um, they're at 640 employees, and um, but they've obviously sharpened their focus into pure propaganda and lobbying and, and uh, affecting um, American politics. So I'll stop there. 
Thanks. Thank you so much, Allie, for mm-hmm. highlighting that organization, especially considering in light of, you know, what occurred there. And, um, you know, I had had some conversation with people and it's just a shame that they got because that is a beautiful area. I think uh, some of you know that I spent some time there. My uncle taught at the Air Force Academy It's just a beautiful area. And I heard you talking about, you know, hanging out at the um, Valley Garden of the Gods. Of the Gods. That, yeah. Yes, I love yeah. that place, too. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's a shame how they go into those communities and they start um, working on spreading their ideology and, and they're just yeah. continuous with it. So um, I thank you so much for, for sure. bringing, you know, uh, that um, aspect to I the conversation. Could, if I could mm-hmm. just add, you know, the people in the area who actually live in Colorado Springs see this as a failed company. I mean, from what they, when they went in, they're half of what they were before, but the, the management of it now is very targeted and the man, the fact that they managed to get the money to go dark means they're mainly working from hot, you know, big donors that are untraceable because they give away most of their uh, propaganda for free. Yeah, uh, You don't have to pay for the books and all that stuff, movies, all of that is free. So in the community there, it's seen as a, a, a very dark entity. It, it's quite suspect, um, although, you know, it, it is a quite conservative area, but it's seen as it's seen as spooky. I mean, people, mm-hmm. people don't like that's it. interesting <laughs> because now over here in my area, TBN is not seen as spooky as all. They have live uh, broadcast. They broadcast live from that studio and they, they really mm-hmm. think it's, it's, it's a crown jewel in the community. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike Huckabee moved over this way. But you said something about um, like this stuff getting stirred up after Obama. There There is an interesting, I think, Jane Mayer, there's some great things in the Jumbotron, guys. But Jane Mayer, of course, wrote a book about dark money and you can find lots of interviews with her about this on YouTube and and other places but and thanks fish he's up uh, but one of the things that she talked about was after uh, President Obama was inaugurated uh, the, these big donors uh, they had a huge meeting they had a meeting where they basically uh, now now you can understand why Mitch McConnell came out and said what he said. He's going to be a one-term president because they had a meeting with all of their rich donors basically to figure out how they stop Barack Obama's agenda, <laughs> you know, and get rid of him. And, and, and it was like in the same month that he was inaugurated. So it's, it's a very uh, strategic targeting and subverting of our democracy. So, again... So glad that we're just peeling back the layers on it. And these layers go deep and they have been going on for a long time. So thank you so much. Um, up next, I have another wonderful lady who is going to share and give us some deeper insight. And that would be Danny. And then we're going to have Mark and Fish. And Fish has provided some great uh, resources for us, too. So I can't wait to hear from him. So, Danny, you're up next. Thank you so much for this space, Misty, and thank you to the co-hosts as well. Y'all doing a great job. Um, so my uh, contribution to this space is going to be journalism, <laughs> investigative journalism, to be specific. Are uh, we surprised? No. I know. <laughs> This is one of the reasons why investigative journalism is my favorite kind of news reporting, because it digs into the weeds. You have to really... Um, 
run down your sources and have to provide information and facts and data and get people on the record and get and you know uh, provide the information if they don't want to be on the record or they have no comment uh, to the story that you're reporting on. And to back up what everybody has been saying, um, these dark money um, donors, it's not just the Koch brothers. It is religious leaders and institutions. Um, and uh, this particular story, it was uh, published uh, the New York Times. I put it up in the Jumbotron. Sherilyn Eiffel, the great Sherilyn Eiffel that we all love. She posted the free link, so everyone should be able to read it without a paywall. And it talks about how one um, religious leader was able to infiltrate that uh, circle of Supreme Court justices. Like he literally ingratiated himself into that society. And he and others were able to lobby them privately um, during these parties, during these meetings, during these donor, um, I don't want to call them conventions, but I'll just put donor meetings. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's because it's actually one of the things that uh, Jane Mayer says is that the only reason that they know who some of these people are is because every now and then someone accidentally leaks an uh, invitation list. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're secretive, you know, meetings. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they do is they literally are trying to lobby the courts to undermine our democracy and our rights. And with this particular article, it's about um, uh, Reverend Rob Schnick. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. But what they're doing is the, the Supreme Court justices started tipping off their wealthy donors about key important decisions that were coming down. And um, this particular article, it actually mentions the, um, the decision in 2014 about Hobby Lobby and how they used their position um, that because of their religious belief, they argued, they should not provide um, or they should not uh, provide access to birth control under their health care plan. And it was only mandated because Obamacare. And so they lobbied the courts. They paid money. They had Rob Schnick infiltrate himself, ingratiate himself with these Supreme Court justices, praying for them at certain um, meetings, praying for them over certain cases. And he started bringing people along. Eventually, you know, he wanted some of the spotlight for himself. And so some of the justices, Kennedy is one of them, that was a little bit standoffish with him. So he started bringing in these other donors who had a lot of money. Um, and get them to do his dirty work for them. On the record, they all deny it. But then he's able to provide emails. He's able to uh, uh, recall phone calls. And they start tracing and they start looking into this. And a lot of what he says is backed up. And he's not only gone to New York Times with this, but he's also talking to Politico and a few other, I want to say Rolling Stones, um, about this. But it was New York Times that really, I think, broke it down. And unfortunately, this has been going on for a really long time, and I suspect it is still going on. And it just gives a, 
an insight. It gives a little bit of a, a peek into what is going on with our Supreme Court justices and why it's so important to vet them and who is nominating them. It's not just that we appoint judges, but that we appoint the right type of judges that cannot be influenced the way that they have been. Um, I do not know why Justice Alito has not well, you know what? Because he's protected, right? He's on the Supreme Court. There's really, you can be impeached from the Supreme Court, but I we don't have the numbers. There's not that much of a public outrage on the right to really do anything. It's just, I guess, kind of us Democrats that are upset about this article. Um, but he should have to answer for a lot of what he has been a part of. Um he started, uh, Schnick uh, started lobbying um, the courts with Justice Alito, but not just him. It was Antonin Scalia and it was Clarence Thomas. Like this man had access and he's really about um, anti-abortion and he has a nonprofit. Now he's considered himself, you know, reformed, I guess. He's not, he's no longer pushing uh, uh, his beliefs through the courts. Um, but he had a good run for all for over 10 years of doing this. And so just like in 2014, there was that major donor couple, the Wrights, uh, Donald and Gail Wright. Donald has since passed away. He was a real estate um, business owner, owned a lot of land, whatever, whatever, whatever in, <laughs> in Ohio. Uh, so, you know, his his money was long. And so, you know, he was a major donor and. They're having dinner. They're going hunting uh, with some of these Supreme Court justices. And they also have Robert Schnick in their ear telling them what he wants them to tell the justices. And um, I believe in 2016, I want to say 2016, they're actually uh, giving seats in the Supreme Court that's actually reserved for Scalia and for Thomas. Um so they have access now as well to them publicly. And this is what I'm saying. Not everything is done in the dark. Some of it's right in front of our face. We just don't know it yet. And until someone like a Robert Schnick comes forward and start naming names, and it wasn't just uh, Alito that he named. He named Scalia. He named Thomas. Um they have a lot to answer for. And someone in the comment section, I, I cannot take credit for this. I'm just going to repeat it. Um, they said that alarm bells should have gone off because Supreme Court justices should not be hosting parties with major donors and players. And um, justices that are willing um, to tip off uh, their donors about key important decisions should be impeached. I don't know if that had happened in this political climate, but that's not a bad argument for what, and it's again, it's not just our politicians, right? It's not just the president or a senator or a house, uh, um, someone from the house, or even our governors. This is showing that no, it gets all the way up into our court system as well, and that's even more dangerous because when you're trying to overturn, as we can see, um, a case by the Supreme Court, it takes a long time, and. It's unfortunate that this has happened. Um, and this really goes down to the breach of what happened earlier this year about the Dobbs case. And that's what made these journalists go looking about 
this one guy, Robert Schnick. Um, I don't think he should be trusted, but I appreciate that he was willing to go on record and name names. I believe that if this is corruption, all the money that he was laundered, and he was paid a salary from a lot of these people. Um, I just want him to more. I just want him to name more names. <laughs> like, don't exactly. Stop. Yeah, don't stop talking now. Uh. <laughs> and my last point, the very last. I do have to thank the journalists. I Y'all know I go hard on journalists. So when they do well, I have to thank them. So the journalist for this article was Jody Cantor and uh, Joe uh, Becker for the New York Times. So thank you for that reporting. Because I read it when uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, when she posted it, and, then I re- and I did exactly what she did. I reread it again, and I was like, no. The, the, everybody should be asked about this. Mm-hmm. And sorry, no one should just be okay. It's it's nothing. The justices should be put on record. Did you do this? And it's also important that with Alito, he was the um, deciding factor. He was the one that wrote the decision for the Dobbs case and for the uh, Hobby Lobby case. So that goes to show you that he was heavily influenced. On the record, he has denied everything. But of course. yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. That- that what is really important that we should also be paying attention to is when they released that article. They did it on a Saturday mid morning. They knew it wouldn't get a lot of traction. They knew that people would forget it. They knew that there would be something else that would happen that would take your focus away from it. So, you know, that's also very telling as well. And another thing that I noticed is that, um, Regardless of what their different interests are, they all have an an end goal. And by they, I mean all the players in this, they all have the same end goal. So whatever infighting they do does not detract them from their ultimate goal. And, And that's how they continue to make inroads. It took them 50 years, but they managed to do it. And I think that that's something that we have to pay attention to as well because Absolutely. they understand how to do a campaign. Absolutely. So, Can sister, I you... Yes, go ahead. You brought, you brought up a really good point, and that's on the journalists from the Sunday shows to start asking the questions, even if that article came out on a Saturday morning. Journalists also report on current events, breaking news. This was breaking news, so they should have also the Sunday morning shows, all the ones that we kind of tune in half the time in, uh, everyone, that should have been the number one question. And I get that also, you know, the Colorado shooting had also happened. So it's a balance, but there's no excuse because I don't believe that any of the Sunday shows asked a question about that article. And so they had time. They just chose not to. Which is why they get on my nerves sometimes. And which is why we're here having these conversations. And we're glad that your passion is investigative journalism. Minds is democracy. I'm sure you guys know that by now. But it's important. And and I, you said something very interesting, Danny. And, and that is something that Jane Mayer points out many times. Uh, they don't all have the exact same goals. But enough of them overlap for them to work together on. And they do. 
um, and that is what we have to do. We may not all want the same thing, but we have to overlap on democracy and all put our efforts behind it. We have to fight um, as hard for our democracy as they are fighting to subvert it. And they have had really um, about 50 years of putting together a, just a, a nice little machine, really, um, that is very effective at um, producing uh, people and organizations to subvert it and just keep it churning and keep it churning. So thank you so much, Danny, for coming and sharing that and, and bringing that to our attention. These are the things that we come here to talk about, because to me, the, begun the beginning, the place you start to solve anything is awareness. So that's what we're doing here today. We're bringing awareness and then we're going to have to keep bringing it because like I said, these tentacles are long and wide and they have been going on for a very long time. So uh, thank you for, you know, helping to peel back another layer on it. Um, excellent job as always. So up next, we've got um, Mark with the K, then Fish um, and, um, and Ghazi. And let me just uh, take a moment, a little housekeeping. Mark, were you able to put the item that you wanted to in the Jumbotron? If not, I can kind of talk, take a moment to talk you through it. It's super easy. Are you there, Mark? He may have stepped away. I'll uh, check that. Uh, I'm here. I just don't see that button that you usually see. Okay. Well, if, if you have an Android, it will look whatever button you use to share that's that's what you have to do and it has to be posted on twitter um gotcha. on okay. on someone's timeline okay 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 cool all right all right um so next up we've got um, mark with the k fish and then ngazi good afternoon d and soul sister thank you so much for allowing me to speak today good afternoon everybody um i'm grateful for each and every one of you here today so kind of tying a lot of these things back in i'm you know i'm one of those lived history people so uh mark's brought up a number of points danny um everyone's brought up points um but the whole thing that we're seeing right now is that conservatives have a long game they they had this long-term plan 50 years 60 years and so to tie this back together um back in the uh late 70s uh, focus on the family, heads up to, or thumbs up to Allie, um, focus on the family started broadcasting. And what they would do is they would go to these little towns across the country. Um, and I speak primarily for, for myself, uh, living, and grow, living and growing up in West Michigan. Um, so what they did was they went into these local markets and, and what they did was these failing little radio stations, they would, would put their programming in there and then that would help boost revenues. Um, and so that's where that propaganda starts. And because West Michigan itself is basically, it was at that time basically really conservative um, in trying to tie it in uh, from the conservative point of view, uh, the main religion in West Michigan is a reformed or Christian reformed church, which is the same one uh, that De Betsy DeVos in the DeVos families, the Van Andel families, uh, Betsy's uh, family, the Prince families, they are all contributors to that organization and they all were educated through uh, private Christian schools. Um, 
so in the late 70s, we have focus on the family. In the early 70s, we have Gerald Ford uh, hailing from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the home of uh, the DeVos, Van Andel, and Prince families. Um, the Prince families and Betsy DeVos, uh, Betsy DeVos is the daughter of uh, the Prince family. Um, their wealth comes from military, federal middle, military contracts. Um, so we have a Republican from Grand Rapids, Michigan, being placed into office. And then we see conservatism starting to rise even more, um, some other unscrupulous things going on uh, with that family and their dark money. And so if you start to look around your local communities, what you'll notice is nine times out of 10, dark money comes from those people whose names are on the buildings. So in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you have DeVos Hall, you have the Van Andel Arena, you have the DeVos Children's Center, um, you have DeVos Hospitals. Um, so their names are scattered, not only in Grand Rapids, but around around the, the, the area in West Michigan. Um, and so if you continue to look at those things, so then as I come about in the early 80s, I... Um, as a young man with two of my friends purchased a small uh, local newspaper that was published once a week and it was published by another local news or another newspaper from a neighboring town. Um, they were the ones that printed it. I was approached, we were approached after owning that for several months in turning the paper around into a, a, a nice uh, 14 page uh, paper. Uh, we were approached uh, to sell that paper in uh, the gentleman that did our printing said, you know, basically, if, if we didn't sell it, he, he was selling his and the company that was buying his would not be printing our paper anymore. So, you know, it was kind of a catch 22 for us. And so we ended up uh, selling it uh, and we made a nice little profit, but it was sold to the Sinclair publishing uh, systems. Uh, and Sinclair also at that time began to buy up a lot of these local radio stations that were failing. So we tie all these things back in together, um, move forward into the early 90s. And Mark had spoke about this, about uh, the proposition of Michigan, which um, dark money was allowed to come in. And that was kind of in response to, uh, and I, I hope I'm not being all broken, disjointed about this, um, but it was kind of <clears throat> in response to uh, two things. One was the, the uh, AIDS uh, pandemic uh, happening in, in West Michigan and across the nation uh, for that matter. And for marriage uh, equality at that time, uh, that's when the fight for uh, gay marriage was starting. Um, something of which the, the Van Andels and the DeVosses were deathly against. Um, during that time, in West Michigan, there was only one hospital where uh, anyone with AIDS could be treated. Um, not those, that one hospital was a Catholic hospital and, and the DeVos hospital would not uh, allow anybody uh, to be treated who had AIDS. Um, another organization sponsored in Mark had mentioned the name and I can't think of it, had sponsored um, a proposition campaign against one of my friends. I'd started a, a couple, three, as a matter of fact, uh, nonprofit organizations in Grand Rapids um, to help people uh, 
who were battling AIDS uh, financially, emotionally, and, and physically. And one of those organizations was a gay chorus. Um, and uh, our director was a very dear friend of mine. And he was also a teacher in a town called Byron Center. Um, he was openly gay. There was no problem. However, he and his partner had a commitment ceremony, a wedding ceremony, because at that time, you know, gay marriage was still not law of the land. And um, shortly after that, he he was fired from his job. The press, the local press, hounded him day and night. Uh, it was it was horrible. Um, I received a number of phone calls from the press. Uh, it was it was it was a three ring circus of conservative hate is what it was, and what ended up happening was because of the stress of what was going on, my friend uh, had a heart attack and passed away, and even while he was laying on his deathbed in the hospital, they were still hounding uh, myself and his husband and a number of his other friends trying to get information. Uh, so this you know again this is the long game that they're playing. So. Um, we fast forward into what's happening now. Betsy DeVos and her family, they are actively involved in a number of different things. So when we talk about student loans and the Republicans filing suit against the president, uh, the DeVos family uh, and the um, Prince family uh, have a horse in that race because they actually have a, a predatory uh company which goes after people with student loans and so we bring this all back in like i said you know i'm betsy devos is kind of the focus of my attention simply because i i have common knowledge of her and i <laughs> love to hear you sharing about it and that's the beauty of this group um you know the different areas that we can you know shed light on because she's down here like i know that you know she's up in an area you you used to you grew up in you're familiar with her and i know Correct. she's poking her nose down here in my area now so i need you to tell me about her because i know she's trouble and i know that you know she's essentially she her family her organizations are trying to do the same kinds of things here that they did there you know she's here exactly. she's pushing these religious um charter schools you know so continue right. I'm sorry well no oh no absolutely and you know the and the other thing i've been actually meaning to mention this to you is that one of the other uh companies that they are involved with or organizations they are involved with uh and i call it a, a non-profit loosely um is uh uh, Bethel Christian Services, and uh, which is an adoption agency which took in a number of children who had been taken away from their parents at the border. Um, and this has been an ongoing thing with this family for a long time. Um, so, you know, there are so many threads to to this this tapestry is it, it's very scary. So, you know, we have her involved in, uh, so this organization is actually uh, has a number of uh, outlets in Tennessee also as well as well as across the country. Um, and so it's just another, people are nothing more than revenue uh, to people of a certain wealth level. Um, you know, we're we're just a commodity to be traded on the open market, and and it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's like watching 
real life uh, Hunger Games at times. It just it, it boggles my mind. So even with like the new bill that they've come up with uh, to protect gay marriage, I, I have a really hard time with that because really what it does is it, while it grandfathers in uh, existing gay marriage um, in a lot of these states, what it doesn't do is protect uh, gay rights uh, moving forward in these states. The other part of that is then what can happen is these states can then go out and even change uh, their their constitutions to uh, prohibit gay marriage. Michigan is one of those states that, that has had, because of the 1990s uh, campaign, uh, prohibit prohibited gay marriage until it was actually law of the land until, you know, the Biden or until uh, President Obama and uh, his administration legalized gay marriage. And so all of these things get woven together. And, and, you know, it just like I said, they have this long game, you know, we're talking, you know, the span of my life is 50 years, you know, and so that's kind of I'm hoping what we can start doing is how can we how can we stop some of this today? But how can we then start laying this foundation for the next generation, and the next generation, the next generation? So anyway, um, it's it's all of this is kind of triggering for me in the events of, of I yesterday. Understand. Yes. And um, so, you know, it just I, I get angry. I get I'm really proud of myself because I haven't sworn today. <laughs> well, <But laughs> thank you. And we're proud of you, too. But we certainly so, would understand yes. if you did, because it is I can yeah. only begin to imagine. And that's why. Um, we need to channel our rage uh, strategically, and that's what I attempt to do here in our conversations on a daily basis, um, because we have to have a long game. And for me, part of that long game is having conversations like this, you know, so we can have other things, because it could, it's a continual education thing. As I said, uh, my goal is to just continue fostering and encouraging civic engagement engagement because when you're engaged and you're aware then you can start to to know what's going on you can start to fight against what's going on but it's it's a long game for us too and the sooner we realize that you know the better off we can be and the better that we can fight this so i thank you for that and thank you so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. Just I want to tell everyone how much I appreciate you. And um, you know, you guys are my sanity. You, I just, you know, I, I'm just grateful. Thank you. Well, we're grateful um, for you, Mark, and and the contributions you make to our community and just your being. Um, we're we're grateful, and I I'm so sorry. I cannot tell you how much. Um, you know, words just. I don't have enough words, but you know, and I, I know I don't have to say it, but this is a safe space, always has been, always will be. And it is just as important for people to be safe in virtual spaces as they are in public spaces. So I just thank you for coming and joining us and feeling safe and vulnerable enough to share with us in this space. So. Thank you so much. 
Um, Fish is up next. Then we have Ngazi. And um, again, like I said, we just kind of wanted to put some information out there today. And anyone else who would like to come in and join in the conversation, whether that's about dark money, we do have a lot of things going on in the news. Um, we can talk about those things. But, you know, we kind of have been talking about one of the most egregious incidents that occurred. But there's certainly many others because above all we do not want to take our eyes off the ball there's a lot of spaghetti on the wall and sometimes we've got to look at that spot another spot but we cannot take our eyes off of it and so i just want to thank you guys for being here so up next we've got fish thanks d thank you soul sister um great space appreciate the the time at the mic uh, so i wanted to tie back to tie into a couple of things that um uh Kevin said something, and then with Ali's mention of the 5013Cs, you know, Kevin had said that, you know, Mitch is the one that always gets in the way, and I totally agree. You know, if you go back to when HR1 was first proposed, I think it was in 2017, um, you know, when, when he argued against its debate on the floor, he, you know, we all remember he famously pointed out that if we make elections more secure and more people vote, we'll lose. But right after that, he also pointed out that one of the things that they want in this bill is to reveal the identities of the 5013C. And flat out said, this isn't going to pass. So while we're all writing about how the GOP is completely contradictory for not wanting elections to be secure, it was never going anywhere as long as the identity of the 5013Cs were going to be revealed. Uh, and then uh, one, one thing, you know, you mentioned Jane Mayer and... I completely agree. If anybody hasn't read Dark Money, it's a great read. Uh, and like you said, Dee, uh, she's got some great you know, 20-minute interviews on YouTube that pretty much say the same exact thing. Uh, the great thing about that was she pointed out how that book, Clinton Cash, was debunked, but it didn't matter. And it's because of this machine that Dee keeps referring to that it was able to be picked up, promoted, addressed, whatever, put the fear of people, put the fear of her in people. And that's why, that brings me to what I feel like we keep talking about and, you know, the reason I don't care, for example, that we said that the Democrats also give money to candidates and they're also uh, guilty, so to speak, of the, the effects of Citizens United. I'm all for taking dark money away from candidates, but I think the bigger issue is the dark money that they're spending on affecting culture. So, you know, when, when you think about, well, why would they do this, right? Well, after Reagan, they realized that they fought a culture war. They had a better shot of increasing their base or at least making their base hold on with a tighter grip. That's why the Tea Party came in. And even though it failed, it did what it was supposed to do, push out the Bush era Republicans that remained and they could just fight their culture war. And, you know, why does a culture war work better? Well, it's much more top down. If the Koch brothers give to a, a, a candidate... That's fine. That's one thing, you know, but what's going to make somebody vote GOP at that school board meeting or, you know, for the dog catcher or whatever? It's a culture war. So the culture war is much more pervasive and it's also much better for fundraising. Right. Uh, so I think that, you know, maybe this is a little bit like what what Danny was talking about. But as much as we talk about the Koch brothers, you, you know, we really need to talk about people like the Mercers. Right. Because they didn't just give to candidates. They invested in private businesses. 
Uh, oh, they're a big they, part. They're as big. They're as yeah. big as the Cokes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so so when you when you invest in uh, a data analytics company, you know, right before Trump runs, uh, when you invest in Breitbart and hire advisors like Steve Bannon, I know we have to use that word advisor uh, loosely, but you know, I mean, Breitbart had something like 19 million subscribers or visitors, whatever. Um, if you look at Breitbart and do a search for black-on-black crime, you'll see all the articles are in 2015 and the first half of 2016. You know, it's, and these are, this is a war on culture. And so uh, I know we have institutions that we're familiar with that tend to be, I don't even want to say democratic, just truthful. You have the Brookings Institute, Race Forward, Manhattan Institute, uh, we do have think tanks that work on issues that we care about, like systemic racism. I don't remember the last time I saw in a paper that some billionaire gave to them. But what we don't have is what the GOP has, which is just a messaging machine that is privately funded by the billions to affect culture. We really just don't have that. Um, and, I mean, okay, save for maybe climate activism. That might be one area where we, we have that. But uh, So... I was just, I don't know, I, I want to hold up people if other people have projects that they've worked on. Thank you very much. Oh, random thing about money. Uh, so there's a pack out there called Democracy First. <laughs> and they did have candidates such as Sherry Beasley on their list. So I, I, I like where they were looking. But they made no contributions in the last cycle. I've written them three times to see if they're still solvent or even active, and I'm getting no replies. So, if anybody wants to stand up and go the next route and start taking over a pack with, which already has the right name, uh, I don't know, just throwing it out there to find a, find a place for a bunch of happy warriors. That's all. Well, I love that, Bish, and, and we must talk about that because, like I said, we have to be as relentless as they are and saving our democracy as they are and destroying it. And I'm glad that you mentioned the other names because, like I said, um, it, it's so many. It's one of those things where we're going to have to take this off in bite sizes, you know, and, and so I'm glad, you know, different people have brought their bite, their, their pieces here because – it's huge, and there are a lot of players and people involved. So, uh, I appreciate you coming and and sharing with us today, and you know, like just expanding this conversation. And um, I think you're so right when you you say it's the culture wars because that was their intent to literally change the conversation and the way people think, the way people think about governance and their government and just, you know, like cultural um, issues in general. And, and that was their aim. And, and so it, it is successful for them. They found their formula and they're not gonna leave it. So, <laughs> um, we've got to create our own, our, our own machine. So thank you so much, Fish, I appreciate you. And up next, we've got Ngazi, and thanks for sharing all the re- great resources that you did. We've got Ngazi and anyone else, again, uh, don't be shy. We're going to be going into our wound down stage, so I would love to have more voices in here, and I just want to thank everyone who, um, you know, contributed, who helped me uh, suss out some of these um, 
organizations and people that we have presented today. And like I said, this is just the beginning. And um, I look forward to us just kind of expanding on this conversation as we go forward. So Ngozi, you're up next. Thanks. Good afternoon, everyone. Can you guys hear me okay? Beautifully. Mm -hmm. Great. Sorry, wasn't sure if my connection was good. Uh, thank you for um, allowing me up to speak. You guys are doing a great job. Um, and a wonderful conversation to be having. But a thought I had as I was listening today was like, all of this is an open secret, right? Like we know about the dark money. We've been seeing kind of everything building to what it's built to. And yet we, and we see the impacts of the dark money. And yet there seems to be very little energy behind addressing these issues. And granted, I think one of the one of the challenges of Democrats in general, besides our mishmash coalition, is that we are the only people who are looking to like solve real problems in America. But because there are so many problems, you only have so much energy to devote to certain things. And this is one of those things that it seems like everyone talks about it. Everyone talks about dark money every election. But where is the real push to say, like, this is top of mind. This is what we're going to do because we can't move forward anymore. Like, look at this Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. <laughs> I mean, this is Senator Whitehouse is like hobby horse. We know. But I mean, I'm looking at the provisions in H.R. 1 and I'm like, this is also why it's not going to pass, because dark money helps both Republicans and Democrats super like the republicans have worked the refs hard on this but it's like they don't want an ethics around elections they don't want to actually change any of this because it benefits them and they also know that if they were to go back to regular rules on an equal playing field they would never win elections again but the supreme court has no ethics rules whatsoever they also get lifetime appointments and no one checks them like we talk about impeaching a um, supreme court judge that's never happened ever. We've impeached presidents, we've removed Congress members, but no one's ever touched that branch of the government to tell them that they have to respond to the American people, which is why they're currently behaving the way they are. They think they're above responding to the people who they technically govern in a way. And it's like, how do we begin to shift that conversation? Because going back to what Danny said about the news, there's so much more on the plate that people just... This is another thing that's very complicated. One, Mark's um, section when he was talking was a lot and it, when you're just trying to figure out how you're going to put food on the table and you got to pick up the kids from soccer this is not something that you can really devote your energy to with how complicated it is but it's so important because you you almost have to be worried about how you're going to put food on the table because of dark money in politics because it infects everything and so like I guess listening, I just kept thinking like everything that underpins the challenges to our democracy is apathy. How do we get people to understand why it's important that people with money have access to change our laws, regardless of what we do when we go to vote. And then like, but then even with getting people to pay attention and apathetic, how do I break it down in a way that makes sense to people so that we can actually get something done? Because no one's going to vote for the Disclose Act. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> we can change out the cycle as many times as we need to, but because it helps both people and no one's really pushing our Congress people to do it, they're going to be focused more on like, oh, we need to get other acts done. Well, I don't I don't share your belief on that because it got further than it has ever gotten before. 
and you know I hear what you're saying um it it's it's a tough um it's going to be a tough battle it, and mm-hmm. it's not you know like one of those that's going to be won overnight but it all start there's a process um that um is occurring like right now in our conversation and sometimes what you're doing does not seem to achieve um um results or or big results but it's it's laying a foundation and again as i said this conversation is laying a foundation a foundation of awareness to get us to talk about it so that we can understand it so we can help other people understand it and we can talk about it with them so that we can start working towards some solutions but first you got to know what you're dealing with to get to a solution so that's where we're at right now no you're I mean, you're right <laughs> D, talk me off the ledge. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't 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 be hopeless. Don't bring hopelessness in here. We're and, all you about... know. You're right. I don't mean to be so Debbie Downer. I guess I'm just like, there's so many pieces. This just feels like an end of days when like, you start demon tablet kind it, of thing. <laughs> when you start looking at it, it does look pretty hopeless because it is so huge and it has been going on so long. And that so we can't feel hopeless. Like I said, what we've got to do is to peel the layers back, to look at it, to see. And sometimes it's huge. But, you know, one of these things that, you know, my attitude about things is one my mom shared with me when, you know, we were working toward, you know, Uh, challenging things at challenging times in our lives um, is, you know, like the attitude of how do you eat an elephant? Okay. Pretty big. Be looking at it as a whole, but one bite at a time. That's how we do this. So we start laying the foundation. We have the conversations and, and ideas start, you know, um, unfolding, but certainly, like I said, I feel like we're, we're better armed when we're aware you know, th- that's the beginning. So that's, like I said, again, that's where this conversation, you know, is about today is just to begin to put the awareness out there um, in the ether and to keep amplifying it and sharing it so people do understand. So these conversations are not only being had by people like Senator Sheldon Whitehouse or Jane Mayer, but so that, you know, we get to like, because I... um I feel hopeful about it because um, when Eugene and I started this space a year ago, I was just thinking about this yesterday. When I would go in other spaces, sometimes people would kind of mock me and it's like, oh, are we going to talk about democracy again? You know, <laughs> it's like, nah, you know. Um, but now I think it's pretty interesting that our president has given a major, you know, speech on democracy that, you know, people, you know, um, politicians, uh, news hosts, people understand that democracy is at risk and it is in the conversation every day now. We can do the same thing with this. It starts with us having the conversation, amplifying it, bubbling it up so that, as Danny said, people start asking questions and looking into some of these things. So anyway, stay hopeful. Do not get lost in a sea of despair, <laughs> in the words of John Lewis. So you're fine. All right. So up next, we've got Danny and then my illustrious host, who uh, is off today, has come up as well. Looking forward to hearing from him. So Danny and then Eugene. 
Yes, thank you again. And I just wanted to put something, I don't know how I forgot about this. Sheldon Whitehouse also raised many questions regarding Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and what happened to his debt. And it has been, I, I know we operate in facts here, so I want to be careful with my words. It has been suggested <laughs> one of the reasons why Justice Kennedy retired um, is because with that seat being vacated and then given to Kavanaugh, he was going to be their mule. Sign, agree, vote the way we want you to vote and your debt will be paid. And just uh, Sheldon Whitehouse for the large, uh, I think he's probably, he's the most vocal, I'll say, um, raising questions and asking where did this money come from? His credit card debt was paid. I believe his mortgage was paid. Um, his children's education and what he put on his disclosed forms, the math was not mathing. He did not have the amount of money that he was spending. So he's burning through his cash. And all of a sudden he gets, you know, the nomination and he gets seated and all his debt is white clean. Where did that money come from? And here it is. What is it? Four or five years later. And we still don't know. So I just wanted to put that up in the Jumbotron as well from a few articles about Sheldon Whitehouse also raising that question about, once again, it's not going to just be our presidents or our senators or the local or the um, local politicians. It's also our Supreme Court justices that are just as uh, vulnerable, that are just as vulnerable of being influenced. And well, we he, see, he, he calls okay. it a, cap, a captured court. I mean, yeah. he had a whole presentation where he laid out how the Federalist Society funded that court. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's how you use a whiteboard, right? <laughs> OK, <laughs> he laid it out. And he, and he is how I got some of the names under yes. this umbrella. <laughs> he should really be a professor because the way he breaks it down and teaches, I understand it. And I, you know. A lot of this could be exactly turkey mm -hmm. because it's dark money. Okay, what does all this mean? Dark money, soft money, hard money, all these different things and the different corporations and the different organizations and a 501c3, 501c4. What's the difference? It could you get too much in the weeds and it's like, all right, I don't have time to learn this. He literally breaks it down. So whenever you see him speaking with that whiteboard behind him, no, he's going to give a master class. And so I just wanted to mention that with Justice Kavanaugh. Thank you. Thank you so much, Denny. And that is my feeling. I couldn't about him and what he does. I couldn't have said it better. Um, and uh, he is someone to watch. And like I said, he's working. He's he's building a coalition uh, to help get this pushed. And and it really did. Uh, they were able to take a vote on it. And of course, you know, none of the Republicans voted on it. So um, it is moving. And, and And if we get enough again, it goes back to us finding good candidates, putting them in Congress, because there are laws and things that are there waiting to be passed when we have enough of majority in the House, uh, you know, and, and Senate to do that. So I do, you know, I do, like I said, I see hope on the horizon for some of these things. And uh, I feel like when we start having conversations around them, as I said earlier, part of what they do is they actually fund 
front groups like, you know, quasi grassroots groups to push certain things. We are a grassroots group, organic, real. This is a concern to us, for us. We keep making noise and we will have politicians going, oh, there's some people that care about this. I want to fight for those people because that's how they do it. (laughs) So thanks so much, guys. Um, Up next, we've got Eugene and then Graham has come up to join us today. So how are you, Eugene? I hope you're enjoying your day off. (laughs) I am. You know, I... uh... So I get up usually at four o'clock every morning so I can get my real life stuff done um, before we do our space. And uh, this morning I didn't get up until like, I don't know, it was like seven or eight o'clock. Wow. Well, so, um, you know, I, I was, I've been listening to this conference. I'm so proud of this community. I, I did like, there is so much knowledge sitting inside these spaces. It blows my mind sometimes. Um I, I, I was sitting back and, and, and listening. And first of all, fish, like you got me a little excited on that pack thing. Like if there's a, a stagnant pack that can be swooped, that has the name, that's really awesome. But I, I was uh, listening and like, I, I'm not one to like, I, I don't consider defeat. It is not in my vocabulary, you know, when it happens, you know, I pretty much ignore it. <laughs> I just I consider it, fee- I just consider it feedback. It's not failure, exactly. it's feedback. Thank you very much. But my grandmother, um, I, I, she ha- had fought with three other women um, for what was called the Penny Act, and the federal government owed us a penny per acre i believe it was um for land that we'd put into trust on all in all tribes right and so these three women got together and you know they they, they she didn't live to see it pass but it did pass and they um just probably not six seven years ago um but anyways i i had asked her you know like uh how she done how she did this and, you know, her reply back to me it was something that, like, I have carried my entire life and formed who I am and what I do. And what she told me was that one of her great discoveries in white people's school, because she was forced to go to a, uh, a school, right? Like, they took her from her home and, and uh, made her, like, she would get beat if she spoke her indigenous language. I mean, severely beat. Um, so th- this woman... It, came to the conclusion that she had read the constitution. Like she got really interested in this and then she started reading the laws and she went, you know, these fools actually knowing that they're, and this is what she told me was she believed that they knew how Henri their, their brethren were. So they wrote laws that this country could grow into. Um, And that's what she believed um, when she read that. And she took that hope from it, and she said, I learned their laws, and we use their laws against them because it, it they passed it. They have to abide by it. And it, it, what, what her big discovery was is they don't just do the right thing. You have to force them. Um, and so her big push to all of us, all of her children, her grandchildren – I mean, like, I can't tell you how many cousins I have that are attorneys because this was so big of a deal to her that, you know, we have inside of our tribes, we have our own constitutions and we have our own laws. Right. Um, But we're subject to federal law 
that oversees everything, right? But we're, we, just like a state, we have our own constitution and our own laws. Um, and so understanding those and the Fed, federal law and then your state laws, like if you don't understand that, they're going to get you every time. So she really she laid it on us. And, you know, uh, ones that look like me, like she told me, you know, they won't see you coming. You are us. So, like, use it. Right. That that was her instruction. That was that conversation with her when she told me, you know, um, she called me a ghost is what she, she called me a ghost walker um, in our language. Um, but like I, I just I, I, I think that I, I think the same thing with what we got going on with PACs now. Right. Like you, you, you use what you have against them until you get enough power to change that. Right. Um, so you got to use that system that you, that you're stuck inside of. I I've watched a lot of candidates say I'm not going to take any dark money, no pack money, no no you know I'm just going to take uh, grassroots uh, donations. And to me, that's foolishness. Like you you use what is there, you use the laws that are available until you've got the power to change it, right? Like and I, but I think one of the hard things with packs is like what's attracted to those packs and why do they want to hide themselves? Like most most Democrats want to do and are for are above the board, right? And so they don't need to hide be, be, behind, you know, the these uh 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 oh, what's that Chris Lou Dobbs one. Man, when I was a kid, so understand that my first 12 years was in a commune. And like we had our uh, when the last two years we had our own school and uh, um, it was that it was that that whatever that was Christian I forget what it, what it was somebody talked about it earlier but that was they provided all of our school books all of our uh, curriculum everything fortunately I only spent two years in that but like it was just straight up like you know uh, you know one plus two equals how many crosses. I mean, everything had like scriptures involved in it, and like it got weird. Um, but it all it was was propaganda, and it was trying to change our mind, right? And but I, you know, fortunately, I was well read up by that point, and I'm, I I saw it coming. In fact, is my teacher in that Christian school had a real problem with it. His name was Ron Studoff. Ron Studoff had four PhDs. He was brilliant, brilliant man. He just fell for this cult, man. You know, and that's why I like I, I don't call people that are in cults stupid people. They're, I've met a lot of brilliant scientists that fell for s some of these. Um, but it, it's it's full propaganda. Like, you know, when you're one track mind, it's pretty easy to sneak in on somebody. And I've seen that with brilliant minds before. Um, but, you know, the, you, you're not going to stop these packs until you get the power to vote out. The ability for these packs and in order to do that if they're always running with all there there are so many races that i that i saw that i believe should never ha have gotten even close to winning because of who the person was it was all about the money spent on the race and that should not ha be happening in a democracy the more money you spend the, the higher likelihood you have of winning a race in america and that's just a fact I don't know how to change that. I don't know what the answers are, but D, man, you, you set up a, a conversation for this week that like could lead us into a lot of rabbit holes. 
<laughs> well, these are rabbit holes. I do not mind going down because we need to find yeah. out um, who the rats are hiding in those holes that are working to subvert our democracy. And like I said, I believe that uh, the only way or, or at least the beginning of the way to fight back against it and to change it is to know it, to know who they are, the players are and how they work. So that's the reason for the conversations. So thank you so much uh, for coming in um, and sharing that. So um, I'm glad you um, are enjoying your day and got to sleep in. That is awesome. And um, if you have anything else, you can <laughs> you can continue. Um, we do have a couple of other hands up. I want to get to um, Graham. No, nope, has- I'm, I'm, I'm good. I just, uh, Dia, I, I really like you. This is a great subject, and I'm I'm really glad that this was one that you chose because to me, it's, I'm real passionate about how our elections are influenced. Right? Um, there's a yeah. lot of different ways you can do that, and this is one of the big glaring elephants in the room. Yeah, because it's like I said, it is a network that has been in place and operating for quite some time. So we need to understand because it is definitely very active in our politics and in some places and ways they have captured it because, you know, uh, Leonard Leo, I put up in there, you know, he's the Federalist Society. Um, You know, I guess he's the head, the CEO. I'm not sure, but he's, he's a big player there got a big donation from, you know, $1.6 billion donation from uh, this company, this guy who was a conservative, and they went through a lot of hoops hiding that money so they wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. But it affords them to be able to fund their propaganda campaigns and the candidates and the quasi-grassroots groups that they want to amplify messages that, you know, seem like they're organic or that people are really concerned about them. So, um, like I said, there are just so many and, um, I want us to kind of discover them all and see how they're working so we can know and call them out. (laughs) Um, so up next we've got, uh, Graham and then Ngazi and I'm, uh, bringing, um, Geechee up because, uh, he has something that he was going to share with us too, which we'll, uh, drill down a little bit on, um, an organization that we have kind of spoken to, but he has a, a perspective to share with us as well on it. So I'm looking forward to him coming up. So Graham, you're up next and then in gossip. Well, thank you. Uh, hello everyone. And uh, thank you D and soul sister for holding this space. Uh, soul sister. I hope you're having, uh, having lots of fun. It's a great new format. Um, just before we, I want to just clear the air. Um, I am not part of any cult, uh, Eugene. <laughs> um, I love the topic and I love this new format. And it's ironic because the first time I came into a democracy first space, I wanted to uh, test uh, the validity of, of this space. And I, I came in looking for disinformation and, well, you know the rest of the story. Um, but I put together a little uh, thread and I attached it to the room it's like a little grab bag of science tweets and and i also included a a book uh the new climate war by dr michael mann he goes through all of the the messiness of dark money and names names and and shows the history of you know disinformation you know d says this is decades so 
he walks through that. So I attached that to the room. Um, I also uh, put on a, a Citizens United uh, Wikipedia page. And also just a few, you know, you talk about a long game. And, you know, I have a lot of solutions for that long game. So I'm excited to, you know, get to the, the solutions part. Um, but it's a really great space to fill in, like, all of this information. And um, I'm really, uh, you know, today I, I, I'd like to just send out love and support uh, to everybody. Um, and I just want to uh, thank, uh, you know, just being part of a really great team. And uh, I'm interested in, in, you know, what we can accomplish in this long game against dark money is uh, – something I've been thinking about. So, and I guess I'll leave you with this D if if we're going to discuss the solutions, are are we going to discuss them publicly on here or are we going to keep them secret or what's, what's the operational security here D? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, the discussions we have here is for everyone um, and uh, we're just going to continue and, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't have an answer for that, in other words, uh, but we're going to keep having the conversations we have here and um, the solutions um, that we come up with, you know, because um, I we're not hiding the fact that we're pro-democracy and we're willing to do everything that we can um, to fight for our democracy. And I don't have any problem um, being very public about exposing their dark money and their nefarious um, behavior. So. Uh, again, like I said, not really an answer, but that's kind of where I'm, my thoughts on that right now. So, Ngazi, you're up next. And um... thank you. Can I go? Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to um, add on to what Eugene was saying about um, Democrats kind of moving away from accepting PAC money. I do think that was a major mistake that we have made as a party and a coalition because you have to play by the new rules that are set. So if the rules of the game are that PACs are going to be flooding our election system with with all of this amount of money, Democrats don't get to sit on our high horse and be like, we're not going to participate. You don't win the game if you don't play by the rules of the game. And so... I do hope that we, because that's why we're getting all these emails, you know, 500 million a day, because a lot of these campaigns, the purity test is to be grassroots funded. There should be some grassroots. People should have access to their elected officials, but election expensive. Georgia has one of the most expensive like ad buy in the country. Warnock can't fund that simply on small dollar donations and fund his campaign of staffers and everything else. There is a place for PAC money it is just a more focused kind of what you were saying earlier. What is that PAC money being used for? We've got PAC money being used to marginalize and other people to create a system in which the rich people, and let's be clear, white, heterosexual, Christian people decided they think they're better than everybody else and they want to subjugate the rest of us. But we can also rise back against that. There is more of us than of them to say that we want to use our access, our money, because there's where are the rich Democrat donors to create something similar to Fox News or to push back against this dark money, pack money that's using that's being used for Republican stuff to be like, no, we're going to push like, our agenda. Like if you look at our stuff that we support as Democrats, that polls well across the country everywhere. So obviously is what people want. But when we're not playing the game 
by the rules of the new game. We're, we're seeding that ground. So when Eugene had mentioned not taking PAC money, it just reminded me that like, until things actually change, we need to play by their rules. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And so uh, one of the other panelists that I asked to kind of present some information to us today is here. And I am looking forward to hearing uh, Geechee share with us. And um, after that, we'll go to uh, Bruna. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing better than yesterday and doing better than the day before that. So I'm blessed. I'm glad for that. Well, our heart goes out and we understand and I'm, I'm glad you joined us today. So thankful. So I see the space is about dark money and I know you also wanted me to talk about Colorado. So um, I guess I can tie the two of those things in together. Yes, in and Ali to... shared a little bit about it too. So I'm looking forward to it and it'll kind of tie into the earlier conversation. Um, and I just actually want to also build off what Nagazi said also. We can't do this fight by ourselves. We don't have enough small money donors that can fund this entire campaign by ourselves. And we keep falling into a cycle year after year in these campaigns, except for the presidential election, where we have statewide candidates, especially governors and senators, that may have raised enough money to outraise their opponents from the beginning of the election until like six weeks out. But at the six-week point, then comes this huge infusion of money from dark money packs. Now, it was muted somewhat this cycle because of the fact that Chuck Schumer has a quote-unquote dark money pack that, made, that raised more money than Mitch McConnell's did. But besides those, there were other groups, and we didn't have Democrats that did the same. And unfortunately, some of the quote-unquote Democratic billionaires didn't feel like this was a good environment to invest in as opposed to 2018 or 2020. And unfortunately, again, one of those... Um, big investors, and I believe he was the biggest donor this cycle, is the crypto guy that's most likely headed to jail and seems like he's a total creep. So that is something, and especially if you are a, a candidate from a marginalized community, a woman candidate, a male, uh, excuse me, a woman candidate, a black candidate, Latino, Asian, a religious minority, it makes no sense for you to fight a fight against your opponent, be it a primary opponent or general election, with one hand tied behind your back. Because when push comes to shove, we have seen many times, I'll take the 2020 primary, where all these people said, we're not doing this, we're not doing this. And then um, now Vice President, but then Senator Harris, Senator Booker, Secretary um, Castro, played by all these arbitrary rules, as a woman, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Amy, um, um, the Senator from Minnesota, um, the Senator from Minnesota. Klobuchar. Klobuchar, just I must have got hit with a uh, stapler. Uh, just like totally followed these rules. And the moment that Bernie and the moment that Liz Warren took mo um, needed money, they got money from PACs, from dark money PACs. And it was just like, forget all these rules. These rules are meant to like keep people that would be challenges for them down. They're all, it's only purity when it benefits them. When it doesn't benefit them, they're going to break the rules like anybody else does. So I think it's ridiculous that we follow these rules. And these groups raise money from people at a small level and also up to being billionaires. And they've been organized for a while. Part of the reason why we got slaughtered from basically 68 to 92, 92 we were able to break that spell except for one time when the White House, is that the right wing of this country became organized. 
yes, there are a lot of, of left-leaning or center-leaning um, conservatives. I mean, excuse me, um, Christians. There are a lot of left-leaning and liberal Catholics. There are a lot of left-leaning, there are some left-leaning and um, center-leaning Mormons. All of these people, but the people that were conservative in these faiths started organizing. And a lot of times we hear about Charlotte because of PTL and other groups like that. And we hear about Virginia Beach because of um, the, oh God, my, my minus, um, the Falwell family and everything that's there. And we hear about Salt Lake City because of the Mormon church. Colorado Springs is one of those cities. It's the 39th biggest city in this country. It is bigger than Miami, bigger than New Orleans, bigger than Cleveland, bigger than a lot of cities, Minneapolis, that we think are just like these booming metropolises. It is a city that has the Air Force, the Air Force Academy is there, one of the huge, a uh, bunch of huge um, Air Force, um, under, underground Air Force installations. Um, it also has Army installations um, near it. It also has, um, it does not have Naval, Air, um, it also has Marine uh, installations in the state that are near it also. Um, so we have all these things that are there. Plus, we also have focus on the family. The family is right. All of these other right-wing organizations that are there that have captivated themselves in the city. And it is the biggest city, well, it gets again, the 39th, that had a Republican mayor and that Trump won by 10 points. That is, like, amazing. And that state that is... 10 to 15 points blue where Denver's really blue and Aurora is blue and, and Pueblo and all these. But the one thing that's on this like interstate is like Colorado Springs, which is not falling in line there. And this is not a city that is like, it's a lot, it's not super diverse, but it used to be like not diverse at all, but it's becoming more diverse, but it's not changing that it's a very conservative place. And these hate groups as they're hate groups. Let's call them what they are, have been able to weaponize, Identity for decades. They did not organize. And I want y'all to remember this. These groups from Jerry Falwell's groups to the Jim Baker groups to the, the Salt Lake City for the Mormons and for these, these Christian white nationalist groups in Colorado Springs. They didn't start by organizing against abortion. They didn't start by getting organized against um, uh, gays and gays being intercepted in, in society. They organized over segregation. That's what their whole goal is. So when you get these judges that are from the, um, the oh God, I don't know why I can't think today, that right-wing um, judge for the Federalist Society, from the Federalist Society that are like, I'm giving this judge a great A. And when you ask them, do you think Brown versus the Board of Topeka was judged correctly, they don't want to give you an answer. This is where they're back. It is the racial discrimination. It's also gender discrimination. They are really happy to let you know they don't believe women should be at the same, same, same equitable place in society as men are. They should make less than men. They should be at home. They should be servants to men. And some of those, I, I am a religious person, but there's obviously some parts of, the, of this biblical text I don't believe it. I don't believe a person should be, be it by their gender, their race, or whatever, should be a servant to another person. Can you work in cohabitation? That works for me. But like, if I was a woman and I was told I had to serve my husband, like, what are we doing? Like, in what universe do we live in that I'm serving somebody else? Like, this is not I dream a genie. So, like, this is what they're organized from. And it's not change. And, yes, we are winning elections. And we did well this cycle. I don't want to poo-poo what we did this cycle. 
But there was something that many of us said during the cycle. We're going to identify, just like we did in 2020, how many of these people exist in this country. And it's like 46 point something percent from 20% from 2020 that existed. And with a lot lower turnout this election, the GOP had a four point advantage on the House national vote of people that were willing to deal, they're willing to have an insurrection of our government. They were willing to deal with homophobes and transphobes and people that hate women because they are women. How dare they have ovaries? How dare they be able to have children? Um, they were upset by people whose gender identity may be something that is something they decide that is different from what they were presented with. They had issues with people that were Muslims or Jews or in some cases Catholic or Sikhs or Buddhists that chose that grew up in a faith or transformed to a faith that was different from their own. They had p- issues with black people and Latino people and Asian people and poor people and disabled people. This is not going to change for these people. And I don't want to say that we need to have more babies and like continue to counter it, but we need to be accepting of more people that will come to this country that will share those values. And we have a workforce that is diminished, strongly diminished because of COVID. We're 10 million people short of the number of people we need working in this country. And we have people that will come over here, be it from Africa or Latin America or Asia, that will accept our our beautiful tapestry in this country and work hard to make that happen. Now, some of the, a few of them may be conservative, but a few of us that are black, Latino, and Asian are also conservative, or, and a lot more of us that are white are that way, too. So it is. it was hard. That, that shooting happened. I did not want to center myself, and I tried really hard. Like It was just like, let's focus on these people. But it's, it's weird when you have lived in a place, and I know others here have lived in Colorado or, or Air Force veterans, but when you've lived in a place... And that place was good to you. And it also, you remember some of the turmoil there. Um, my father was in the military. Uh, my father was in the military. My grandfather was in the military. There are schools in that town named after my grandfather who ran the school board there for a couple of decades. And at the same time, I had to listen because my, fa- my grandfather and my grandmother made sure I understood the shit they had to go through. So they got lots of letters where it was burn the niggers down, burn this down, other things. There were other times where people came in and vandalized their house, put sugar in their gas tank, cut their fucking tires. And they just reminded me, this is what it was. And that just because we no, lo- no longer live in South Carolina now, that does not mean that this, this more white and accepting place is always going to have everyone that accepts us. And the crazy school board meetings, on um, while we have to have the Bible taught and we can't have these wicked books in our school, like Uncle Tom's Cabin was a wicked, not true story. And all these other, like, it was always constant every day of, like, changing curriculums to not be accurate. And one of the things I remember, and it's so funny because of the conversation we had on, on Saturday, is having these people that were obviously aligned with values that are similar to Nazis, wanting literature like that in there, but not, but getting irate if a school board member or another parent called them a Nazi or called them racist or called them sexist. How dare you accurately describe who I am? And it was a trip. It really was a trip. And I guess the final part, and I'll close on this, is how far we've come as a society. I went to college in the early 90s. 
And it was it seemed like it was going to be this breakthrough for gays. Like finally we were starting to get some movement down on AIDS because Hillary Clinton was literally sitting in homes and in apartments with people, giving them these experimental drugs, these experimental um um anti-retroviral drugs. And they were willing to test it out, had to sign a waiver. And it was just like, okay, we're going to have this group try this, this group do this. But I mean, personally, with Fauci going to places in New York and Atlanta and Chicago and San Francisco to save a generation of queer people that were dying. And it seemed like it was a a wonderful time. And then Hawaii was about to um, recognize gay marriage all of a sudden. And then the laws all start to go in a different direction. And then in the early 2000s, started to pick up again. And then 2003 happened. And like state after state after state after state was banning gay marriage and then putting on these draconian laws against gays. And then when Obama came, it started to change. In 2009, you started having people fight back against them, having state measures to, to reverse these things that were happening. And then 2012 happened with Ogrefell. And we saw a lot of other things because gay marriage, in my opinion, is not the most important thing to gays. It is having the same civil right protections from not losing your job for being gay or not being kicked out of your home because you're gay. Those are things that in many parts of this country still exist. I have family members who live in South Carolina, where in most places in South Carolina or in Texas or in Florida, you can be fired for being gay. You can be fired. You can lose your home, be kicked out of an apartment because you're gay, kicked out of a community for being gay. That shouldn't exist. It shouldn't happen for you being black or being a woman or being a, uh, a Catholic or being a Muslim. That should not exist in this country. But I say we've come a long way because there used to be this like unbearable shame where I've, I've talked about this before sometimes in my timeline where like two, uh, two years ago, uh, last year, uh, was it last year? Last year was the first time I was in Washington State since I moved, we moved to Florida for basically my brothers and I to, um, to play football and basketball in Florida. And it was the first time I'd ever been to a queer place. And it was jarring because I would tell my boyfriend, I feel like liberated and I feel terrified because like I, when I, I was living up here beforehand, I didn't want to embarrass my stepdad, who I knew was in the military, and I didn't want to embarrass my mom. I didn't want to embarrass my my family by doing stuff like this. And then when I went to Colorado and I went for a dedication um, at a Colorado Spring, my sister was like, oh, we should hang out and go. And I was like, I still don't feel comfortable doing that. And I'm supposed to be going to Colorado this week. And I think that's something I'm going to do. I'm going to, to finally rip that Band-Aid off and just be me and be okay with it. Because there is... You, I don't want to hurt my family. I don't want to smear their legacy or hurt their legacy or or have them demean in any ways. And there was a conversation that um, Judge Matheson, I watch this reality show, I love reality TV. It's like the Matheson family's values. And his son, who I know, um, used to be the legislative director for Senator Peters, um, the one of the, I think he's the junior um, senator from from Michigan. Um, and this is a good job because the, the most productive member of the Democratic Senate is Gary Peters. He's pushing legislation and getting it passed all the time. And his son, talking to his dad with his boyfriend, who was very cute, uh, said um, that he didn't come out because he didn't want to embarrass his dad. He didn't want to hurt his mom. He didn't want to hurt their family legacy. And he remembered all the hate mail and all the hate he had to encounter 
just being black and the time that he did support queer people, the increased hate they got. We see it. We see it, y'all. Even if you, when people talk about, oh, we don't want to have kids talk about this, kids see bigotry. You don't have to be old. You can be four or five years old and see that a black kid is getting treated differently than a white kid. A girl is being shut down in the classroom, in a science classroom, because she dares to speak up and have the correct answer while a bunch of other dumbasses, especially mainly boys, are in there like playing with their boogers and playing with toys. And we shut them down for that. And they can see where a queer kid who may want to hang out with the girls or wear a dress or may have a list is treated in a way different from everybody else. Kids see this. You cannot hide it from you. Not teaching it in school is not going to make it better. It's going to harbor a situation where bigots can be bigots more freely. So I just want to end on this. And a great tip that Tiff said today, that it's not up to people that aren't gay to say what is homophobic. It's not up to people that are not black to say what is racist. It's not up to people that aren't Latino to say what aren't Latino. When they explain to you why it is bigoted and then give you the reason why, you should believe them. To not do that is bigotry, and we can be bigger than that. That's all I have. Thank you for allowing me to speak. I'm going to continue to listen. D, thank you also for helping on Saturday, along with Soul Sister and my brother um, Eugene on the end. Thank you all for being brave. I appreciate all of y'all and everybody in the space. Keep doing what y'all are doing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for coming. And, you know, like I said, taking time out of your day to share with us. And yes, we share some history there, Colorado Springs, Alley, um, as well, because, you know, I think I told you my uncle worked, um, he uh, taught at the Air Force Academy there. I hung out, spent time with him. Um, and it's just a beautiful community. So I am encouraging you to go and be your full, authentic self. Um, I think that the things that your um, grandparents um, lived and and it seems like their life's work would want you to be free to be you. So um, I hope that you have a great visit when you go there. So that's just me. <laughs> you know, um, one thing that I've I've noticed is that a lot of these think think tank groups. Um, they have roots in libertarian uh, philosophies and politics, even though they're working very closely and hand in hand with um, these religious or conservative or both groups. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what everyone else's experiences with um, that type of philosophy or politics, but mine has been that they want to, tear everything down, burn it all down, thinking that they're going to build this utopia from the ground up. And I, I, I can guess where this type of uh, frustration or, or ideology comes from, but it's, it's very dangerous as well because um, we haven't fully identified or fully tried to truly, sincerely fix uh, a system that is broken. And, and while I know the system was not built for many of us in this room, um, there are pieces and parts of this uh, democracy uh, or this exercise of democracy that, that can work if applied correctly. So why are we rebuilding it? 
why are we rebuilding it from the ground up with this philosophy of burn it all down? And so I think it's even, I think it's even more sinister than, you know, just the segregation. I I think it's way more sinister, but there's a, a large swath of people who are buying into it and, or have bought into it. Uh, and, and they call themselves, you know, open-minded, free thinkers, all of that. And they're obviously so far left that they've already become right um, on the side of poli- on the on the spectrum of politics. And, and that's a that's a problem because internally we're not truly sure who we're sitting next to. You know, we're not really sure who. Um, is is necessarily uh, fighting on our behalf, or, or uh, you know, trying to um, ensure that that everyone really does get a piece of the pie, or a seat at the table, or a voice in the uh, in, in the room, and 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 that's that's a major issue. I feel uh, you know. Another thing is, is they they build their community they, when when they go into a community, they bring the community with them to kind of plant roots. And so they already have a built-in base and then they, it filters out, you know, so they're, they're already starting with a very strong support base. And then it's all just about indoctrinating everybody else to come on in. And, and, and that's something that we have to recognize as well. Like what they did in Colorado, as you know, many people have said, you know, Allie went through the history and others have also chimed in in regards to that. You know, and, uh, you know, looking at the regional differences where Ali says, you know, in Colorado, uh, these efforts look like a failure. However, in Tennessee, they're seen as a beacon of hope. Uh, so there's also those things that are coming into play that we also have to identify. So I look at this this group and in in this major meeting of the minds that we have here. And, and I see it as like an instruction manual because you, you can't put something together without understanding all of the parts. And that's what makes this space and, and this community so amazing. That right there is what makes it so amazing. And that's what makes us different than other places or other coalitions that are outside of here um we're doing the hard work of educating and we're doing the hard work of self-examination and we're doing the hard work of you know doing these autopsies afterwards and that's that is a major difference um you know it's a war on culture yes they're bullies they bully everyone they just pick a different target each time because as soon as they can get you on board with one issue they, they figure out what is the what can i get from the community or what can I give the community in order for them to hate? And then maybe they'll listen to all this other garbage that I have to sell them. And they do it. They do it in a major fashion. And, and it just, it breaks my heart. And I, I, I see it and I know you guys all see it. So I'm just, I'm just chiming in here. Um, and okay. I, I, I thank you guys for, for contributing to that today because that, those were just my thoughts. Those were my notes. Thank you.
thank you and I appreciate it. And thank you again for doing such an awesome job serving as my co-host today. I appreciate it. Um, and my other co-host sitting up there um, is sitting in today. I appreciate him coming and joining the conversation. So up next, we've got Bruna, then Mark, then uh, Nikki. Um, okay. Um, hi, um, hi, Miss D, and um, hi to everybody, and um, thank you for um, hosting the space and listening to speak, ma'am. And um, I just want to say, you know, um, thank you to um, Mr. Um, Mr. I tweet for folks um, like secure in their sexuality, and um, I just want to say thank you to you, sir, and because like for standing up for um, my community and stuff like that, I just always like to. I would, it always makes me feel um, slightly better about myself whenever I, I see allies within um, just allies, especially if they are um, black men. It's just, it's just always um, and 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 that's no disrespect or anything, but it's just that often I see a lot of violence like towards like especially girls like me. So it's like, yeah. So it's like um, yes. Um, so, so it's like you, you, you're totally right about how you know sometimes kids are bullied for being different and everything. It's like you know. And um, I was talking about that in my space last last night, and it, I kind of got cut as well. But um, I was going to have part two of um my confessions and my truth um this evening at eight p.m. So um, if anybody wants to come and watch and just educate yourself on um trans issues and stuff, like I'll really appreciate if everybody comes and yes, please. So um, yeah, I think that's I'm just I just feel like it's important that you know especially with times changing and, you know, the more we progress as a society, we should become more more sensitive towards um, the plight of of everybody, whether um whether it's black people, whether it's Latino people, whether it's Asian people, whether it's immigrants, whether it's women, whether it's members of the LGBTQIA plus community and everything. And it's like, you know, something that you actually touch base, you know, just like when people say, Oh, you know, like 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 the name doesn't matter. Your pronouns doesn't matter as a trans person. That doesn't matter, you know. What 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 um what did your parents name you at birth? And I'm just like really. I'm just like, I'm just like that that like stuff stuff like that. Just little stuff like that really irks me and just I find it very traumatizing, honestly. And just yeah, and um yeah, and, and just, yeah. So I'll I'll just be talking more about it um on my um. Thing, um, later tonight at eight. So, in case maybe you want to watch, so um, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Bruno. I appreciate that, and it's it's so important. Like you said, um, you know, that we recognize that everyone wants to be free to to live their lives without being targeted and subjected to to violence, and to have the same rights and freedom as everyone else. So um, thank you for coming in and joining in the conversation. And I hope your space goes well, because I say the beginning of changing any of that is always about bringing awareness to it. And, and how do you bring awareness? You have conversations about it. So thank you for starting that conversation and helping to bring more awareness. And I know there are many others in this community who do that. And anytime that I can help join in and amplify um, those messages to bring awareness, I am um, trying to do that and, and help as well. So again, thank you for coming and joining in our conversation today. So up next, uh, we've got Mark and then Nikki. 
Hey, um, thanks, D. And uh, I, again, Soul Sister, uh, glad to see you here. Um, I, I just, I, I was listening to some of the earlier comments. Um, and D, I know you talked about, uh, well, there was <clears throat> a previous comment that was kind of talking about how both sides use dark money. And I just have to push, and I know you push back on it, but I just want to, I just want to really push back on it because um, there's a sinister force um, that, is using dark money for, for nefarious purpose in this democracy, and it's it's not it's not the democratic side. I, I just, uh, the Democrat side. Um, say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> they're, they're, I'll say it again. There's a sinister force that's using dark money for nefarious purpose, and it's not the Democrat side. It it, it has not been for the last twenty years, and it, it has not. And and you know, I I just it it always it just takes me back and and. There's some seminal cases in my lifetime that I've just attached to that made me, you know, so interested in constitutional law, and um, and one of which was, you know, the first case um, that established judicial review was Marbury versus Madison in 1803. Um, it established that the Supreme Court laid down the law of the land, um, and that they had the power to strike down laws and statutes as they find to violate the Constitution of the United States. Um, and the one of the other cases from the same Supreme Court, because I don't think about the Supreme Court in terms of who's on it. I think it's about the Supreme Court as one embodiment of a continuous, of a continuum of rule of law. Um, I can't think about Congress like that because th those are elected officials that ebb and flow like um, the population based upon censuses and, and how districts are drawn. Um, the executive branch is elected. You know, we've had conserv we've had. Uh, liberal presidents, we've had conservative, moderates, we've had different kinds of presidents, but the judicial branch is supposed to be a continuum. And then one of the cases that have, and that, that this, and I'm, I'm, this ties into dark money, one of the cases that has always bothered me about the continuum of the rule of law is this Dred Scott case in 1857, just 54 years after Marbury Madison says, hey, look, we're the ones that, that, that uh, interpret the Constitution and, and lay down the rule of the land. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that when we say Dred Scott, I don't think people really understand what Dred Scott was and how it ties into dark money now and how there's been this campaign, um, not not based upon conservative values, not based upon conservative beliefs, but based upon a belief that um, I think as it pertains to the existence of African-Americans, that we don't have the same we don't have the same kind of rights. And 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 this idea in, in a broader effect, that this experiment, the American experiment of democracy, has not worked out the way that some people like it to work out. So they want to change it. They don't. And 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 I think Danny was talking about they they want to destroy it rather than see it flourish for what it is, which is which would be democracy for all. They want they the 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 thought of equality equals a loss of power that is unsustainable in their eyes. And th it reminds me of Dred Scott, um, because in Dred Scott, Justice Taney wrote that, that African-Americans had no claim to freedom of citizenship. They're not citizens. They didn't possess any legal standing to bring any lawsuit in, in the federal court. They were slaves that were private property, and Congress didn't have the power to regulate slavery in territories and could not revoke a slave owner's property, Right. He, and this is the brother-in-law of the person that wrote the Star Spangled Banner. 
So, so what I'm trying to say is that there's no both sides to this evil force. It's evil. It is undemocratic. It is not. It is not how this constitution was laid down. And you know this originalist argument, this textualist argument. Um, and I, I always talk about Katanji Brown Jackson um, making that argument fall on its face by the by and through the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendment, which were written not colorblind but color conscious for. Um, descendants of slaves to make them citizens. The 14th Amendment had to overrule, it did overrule, the, the Dred Scott decision, which was the dumbest decision in Supreme Court history. Not just dumb rhetorically, but dumb because it didn't even speak towards the, the actual ink on the hemp piece of paper that the Constitution was written on. It wasn't written on paper that we write on. It was written on hemp, actually, which is kind of funny that, you know, we outlaw marijuana federally, but the Constitution is written on, like, hemp, right? Um, that's just a digression. But the, the the point of the matter is, is that this is not a, this is not a both sides case. There's a, there's one side that's fighting. For, it's almost like, it's almost like Lincoln's second inauguration speech. And it's, it, it's on, when you walk into the Lincoln Memorial, when you go up and see his, his statue, you walk up those stairs on the left side, you have, I, I, I forgot what you have, but on the right side, you have his second inaugural. And he talks about, it's a very short speech in his second inaugural because it was on the precipice of, or in the midst of, a civil war. He's talking about one side that would rather burn this country down than see it flourish. And one side that will fight and lose in order to see it flourish. And he's talking about those both sides and how they're equally passionate. But you know what? He said, fuck it, we're going to go to war. Fuck it. We're going to like we're going to do this because I know I'm on the right side. So this is, we're on the right side of this historically, um, socially, politically, esoterically. We're on the right side of this. Um, we want to see democracy occur and, and keep on flourishing. Um, there's but there's this one side because this this because Citizens United let in the dark money. And that was, it was a plan. It wasn't, and the way they did it, the way Anthony Kennedy did it is that it was an opening to, to bring it in. It, the, the case, and I, I want to emphasize this from when I talked earlier, the case was just to show a video by this small nonprofit organization. It wasn't to overturn uh, previous campaign finance laws. They just wanted to show a video. They could, the Supreme Court could have said, yeah, you can show the video within, within 60, you can show a video within 60 days. They overturned um, precedent. And so when we think about everything that happened from the progeny thereon of overturning precedent, when we think about stare decisis and how um, um, Chief Justice Roberts talks about stare decisis and he says, hey, in, in Citizens United, hey, we still, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, he tries to explain himself in the in the Citizens United opinion uh, in his concurrence, which was the majority before. But Anthony Kennedy wrote the, wrote the majority because he wanted to go beyond what the argument was. Again, I spoke earlier about this. They had to re-argue it because Anthony Kennedy brought up other issues that the attorneys on either side had not even brought up. Elena Kagan was the solicitor general at that time. She wasn't arguing the... the uh, she wasn't arguing the bigger picture on, on whether a corporation was a person. Neither was the appellate. They weren't arguing that either. They weren't trying to be a person. 
They were just saying, hey, we have a First Amendment right to show this video um, criticizing um, 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 Clinton. So the so the bigger picture is, you know, um, the, what the, the bigger purpose is that there has been this campaign to take to take away um, to take a, to take away the the regulation of the of elections and campaign finance so that these organizations can secretly usurp the basis of our democracy in fee, free free and fair elections in propaganda in influencing people in all that has become of our digital our digital democracy where freedom where freedom of information flows through this medium and other mediums as well that can be you know manipulated uh, by these dark forces so um whomever said that there's both sides the i know i know is is an honest opinion is honest and, and 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 candid but there's not a both sides to this there's one side to democracy it's not a coin we can disagree on how we the, we can disagree on the mechanism of democracy we can disagree on on who on 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 the rights um, that that be, that that are begotten by democracy. We can have these arguments about how to how to operate a democracy, but we cannot debate on whether we should be a democracy. And that is the debate we're having. That is the fight that we're happening that, that is happening thank right you, now. Thank you, thank you, thank mm -hmm. you. And so that's why this conversation and a move this movement that you're creating in this conversation. And 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 why you know why I'm not why why I you know it, it's it's why I when I look at some of the some of the Democrats on on the left side for instance and I'm I'm not trying to point people out when I look at some of the Democrats on the left side, I'm like you don't get it on on the far left you don't get it. when I look at the squad I'm like you don't get it you don't get what this battle is you don't get some of the, this war is right. Um, strategy is for wars, tactics are for battles. They don't get either of them. Wanting to wanting to primary Hakeem Jeffries, the, uh, it ties into all this stuff. And there's dark money behind that too. Don't don't get it twisted. It's it's interconnected with the reason why Alito is leaking all of this shit that he's leaking, and that they're they're at the federal. That the reason why the Federalist Society we know who they are and they've gained such momentum is because of dark money. These are forces that are happening while we're, inter while we're even talking about this right now. We had, what, five of the, all five of the conservative justices, except for, actually, Clarence Thomas wasn't the one that spoke. We had all, four of the five um, ultra, well, except for John Roberts and Clarence Thomas, speak at the Federalist Society. They spoke their mind. Did you hear their, did you hear what they said? They were they were like capping on like you know a bunch of folks, and they're about to make decisions that are going to affect our lives. So I'm gonna tell you right now, um, like I like I said in 2016 when I voted for Hillary Clinton, I'm like man, if we not if we don't vote for Hillary Clinton, we're gonna pay for it in the judiciary. The judiciary is not supposed to be this volatile. It's supposed to be the continuum of the rule of law from a free-flowing constitution that is living through the ages to adapt to how people relate to each other. 
and how the rule of law is supposed to apply to contemporary society to make sure people are free, people have liberty, and people have justice. That is what the Constitution is supposed to do. It's not supposed to pick sides. And it's picking sides right now. And it has to stop. And the only way we can stop it is to identify what forces are, are, are encouraging its failure and its flaw. And I'm glad we're having this conversation. I'm sorry I, I, I got off on my, on my pedestal, but I, I, just, I was taken aback by the both sidesism of dark money. And dark money is, and I, just wanna, I don't want to get confused about money that goes to advocacy and dark money. Money that goes to advocacy for candidates and for, you know, for, for different nonprofit purposes is not dark money. That's soft money. Dark money is money that comes from places you don't have any idea where it comes from. Where is with, this money with, coming from that goes to the federal society? With very nefarious intent. The with intent nefarious is, intent. The, the intent is to destroy our democracy because the big funders of them are anti-government. Okay? And, 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 and I'll land with anti -democracy. this. Anti-democracy. <laughs> Anti-democracy, D, and you're, you're absolutely correct, uh, as most of the time you are. And I'll land with this. The reason why I'm talking so strongly about this is because those same forces are the just to me. And you can adopt this philosophy. You can adopt this theory all, if you want. You can debate me if you want. You can say, hey, Mark, you're wrong. That theory, the, the, the theory of it is the justice teeny theory to me, that I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to have all the rights of, of white citizens in the, United, in the United States. I didn't read the whole opinion because it's very offensive. Go back and read, read Dred Scott and what he said. He said black Americans, descendants of slaves, will never have the rights of white people in America. He didn't just say you guys weren't, he didn't just say we were not citizens. He said, "You will. You're not even. You're. You're not even human. Basically, this is Supreme Court justice. The brother-in-law of the guy who wrote the Star Spangled Banner, married to the sister of Francis Scott Key, who's saying this. They went to thank, and we were up on Thanksgiving on Thursday. They, I, I guarantee you, they had Thanksgiving dinner together. I'm not sure what they talked about, but." I'm not sure what they talked about, but you know about Thanksgiving dinner. You talk about everybody and everything. For sure, <laughs> everybody for gets sure. <laughs> everybody gets talked about. Anyway, thank thank you. Thank you for this space. Thank you for giving me another vine. I did I just I just was really passionate because I was struck by earlier by some of the some of the comments. And you know, if you I, you know, I really wanted to respond to that both sides of them ism. And I really wanted to focus and be clear about what dark money is and what advocacy you know donations are it, it, it's, it's there's they're completely different um and and i i you know there might be dark money going on in the democratic party but you know it, it, there's a the nefarious purpose is very clear on one side and not the other thank you mark i appreciate that and i appreciate your passion because i want us to be careful with that because that's also a tactic of the right uh, to get us to delve down into, well, Democrats do it too. No, we're not going to do that, 
okay? So I, I appreciate all the clarity you, you brought to that. So there is no both sides for it um, about this. And um, one of the uh, interviews that I watched of uh, Jane uh, Meyer, uh, someone asked her, I think it was the one she did at the uh, Politics and Prose, the bookstore in DC. And a young man came up and essentially tried to do that same thing um, about the both sides. And she pretty much shot it down in, in much the same way as you did. And in fact, that's where I got my statistics, where she talked about the percentage um, of, of dark money, which, again, 80 percent Republicans, 20 percent Democrats. And again, keep in mind that even that that's being spent, how it is being spent. OK, so I appreciate that, Mark. And we do have a couple more hands I want to get to. Uh, Nikki Fish. Carmen, and I'm trying to bring Dr. P up. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Mickey. Um, Hi. Hey there. Ooh, there's a lot to think about today. Um, I guess tagging on to some of the things that uh, Gigi and Mark discussed. Um, this libertarian type of slant, it's a utopian viewpoint that is was suited for a time and place when we, we lived a predominantly small town agricultural existence. It doesn't scale very well. It doesn't scale very well because you have too many people doing too many different things and therefore the constraints on their lives are different. So to try to have everyone just kind of informally come to an agreement on a way and a structure to live that is devoid of class, race, sexism, sexuality, religion is is very difficult to do when you get when you scale to the size of most American cities these days. You know, that was cool when it was 1776 and there weren't that many of us. But it ain't going to work today. And, and this viewpoint that we can kind of do away with all of our governmental structures is embraced by both MAGA left and MAGA right. You know, I get just as, you know, there are those ultra, ultra left, quote unquote, progressives who are just as bad as the far right. We cannot do away with our structures. Those structures are the container and the form and the shape in, in many ways that prevent us from acting out as our worst human instinct instincts there because in the absence of morality you have to have laws you have to have structure it would be great if we could all determine that we were had the same mindset as it related to morality and values but as we have become increasingly larger and more diverse that is not a possibility so we need government. And the people who want to tell you that they don't, 
aren't truly thinking about the chaos that would exist in our world without government. Now, we can say we want more effective government. We want a more efficient government. We want a government that, you know, handles certain situations better. But this whole idea that we will function and be so much better off without government, to me, seems like the uh, the fastest way to take a, you know, a sleigh ride down a steep, snowy hill into hell. So... I, I'm I'm not for that. If you want to call me a centrist, fine, so be it. But um, you know the this whole libertarian thing, um, you know, I once shared before. It's like I went to Quaker camps in Vermont, you know, Bernie land for for real, and uh, it's great to try to you know run and govern things on consensus and everybody kumbaya. It's hard to do even for 100, 200 people. It definitely does not scale. So, you know, libertarian ain't going to work, you know, in anybody's major city when your neighbor next door is being a complete butt. You knock on the door, they ask you nicely. You ask them nicely to, you know, be a decent human being. Could you not do X, Y, Z? And they come at you crazy. So hence, yeah, we do need to have some, you know, laws about how we interact with one another. I hope that um, I like Mark's remarks on the difference between soft money, because let me tell you, having just come out of a mayor's race where this dude spent a hundred million dollars. <laughs> it's, you know, to try to combat all that money at the last minute. It was only because Karen Bass had come from an organizing background and could tap into a longstanding set of relationships that she weathered that storm. But it was it was pure grade A fire on just experiencing that overwhelming investment of dollars against a real Democrat. So uh, there's that. And I also wanted to say, um, you know, my I'm still trying to process the uh, this latest shooting. So my sympathy goes out to the LGBTQ community. I definitely feel for you. And hopefully, you know, we can be effective allies I know for me, my focuses tend to be talking to black folks who call themselves Christians and still want to come out with a whole bunch of anti-LGBTQ stuff. So it's like I, I, that, that I feel like I can do to try to be as supportive as possible because we do have to kind of break down this craziness. But that's it. That's all I wanted to say for the day. I got to get back to work. So I'm going to bump myself down to listen and just listen. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you came up and, and joined us in the conversation and, and added such, um, um, you know, a very um, important aspect, you know, a recent one, like you said, um, you know, that mayoral race. And we needed her there. So kudos on her uh, 
for having the the relationships required um, to bring the monies and and all of the other you know human resources that she needed to bring it across the finish line. Like we're in the fight really of our lives, the fight for our democracy because they're trying to kill it. So we need to use everything. And you know we had talks about that those purity tests around money and stuff during the election, and we'll we'll need to keep talking about it because there will be some people who try to get candidates and people to um, take yeah, these and there, crazy there purity tests. <laughs> yeah. You know, she did have some PAC money um, come in. And we have, you know, um, at least some of the organizations that I'm involved with and know, uh, kind of familiar with, you know, they can't say much because they use PAC money. And it, it's like um, this whole idea of they're not, I don't hear that that much out here, frankly. Right. Because they know that they, I think that they, they need it. I, I, there may be a certain very small section, but they rely on them packs. So, um, it, you know, it's, we, we too have our own little kind of, I will say center right. Democrats nipping at our heels, so um, I don't I don't see that going away anytime soon out here um, in the Los Angeles area. Well, thank you um, so much for that, and and really, until we actually get some legislation in place like the Disclose Act and 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 many other things, because one of the the uh, voting rights bill, I think the one that. Um, Senator Klobuchar wrote, um, it contains some campaign financing reform um, measures in there, which would be um, really great. Um, but uh, we don't need to concede anything or give up anything or not use anything until the, the playing field is more leveled. And right now it's not. So we're going to need to use everything that we have. <laughs> because as um, market set and other people we know what we're fighting for we're on the right side of history in this okay so um you're right and i i'm glad that um you know the people in your area understand that and and have the resources out there to to utilize them when needed and bring us the wins we need so thank you so much um up next we've got fish then carmen and then dr p thank you d uh yeah, Mickey, I mean, I completely agree. And as as we've noted, I think, in this space before, isn't it just perfect the way conversations about those libertarian utopias always lead back to the notion of pre-civil rights, you know, 1950s, uh, you know, New Hampshire or whatever. Uh, but I, I came up, I've got to go, but I came up because I wanted to just point out that I put into the nest Graham's tweet uh, with uh, Bruna's space uh, in three hours. I, I just wanted to say uh, to you, Bruna, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty closely tied with 9-11 and Sandy Hook, and I never do well with the reading of victims' names, but I was in your space last night, and I was just broken, and then the way you read the transgender bill and talked about representative Jayapal. I was, I'm just here to say I was extremely moved. And so I want to let you know, 
you're blessed. Uh, I'm in awe of your strength. Keep on keeping on, and I will do what I can to be there today. Uh, but either way, I recommend, if people can, to tune in. So that was all. I got to go. But thank you all. Thanks for the space. Thank you for saying that. Yes. And um, I appreciate it because, again, any voices um, that are bringing awareness to issues and that we can support and amplify, that's what we need to do in this collective. And thank you for for sharing that. I was working on some stuff and I wasn't able to attend, but um, I'm so glad that uh, many members of the community were. And um, I will try to check out this evening's. Um, but I do appreciate um, anyone who is, like I said, doing the work to bring awareness and, and, and form solutions to the various issues that we have going on here. And certainly this is very timely. It's, you know, what happened over the weekend is truly heartbreaking. And I'm kind of like you, Fish. Sometimes I have to pull back from some things because the, um, it's too raw, the emotional, um, the emotions that are triggered, um, I have to be able to to process, and and we all you know have to do that in in our own way. But um, I'm glad to hear that you were able to do that and and just walk you know leave the space with a, a a good beautiful feeling. So thank you, and that speaks very highly of Bruna, and I appreciate her efforts and and what she's doing to bring attention um, to um, her community. So we want to support her in any way that we can. Uh, up next, we've got uh, Carmen and then Dr. P. And I am going to start to wrap up here probably in the next 20, 30 minutes. So um, if you're sitting down there and you've been listening, you know we appreciate you. We love you. And if there is something that you would like to chime in on on the conversation before we wrap up, don't be shy. Come on up. We'd love to have you um and on this conversation today, which I think has been a an awesome one, as they are every day, and that is mostly because of you guys who come here and share in it. And I really want you to know how much I appreciate it. Good evening, Misty. Can you let Dr. Pasquale go first? I just, I got to just finish something real quick. Sure, no problem. Thank you. Um, all right, Dr. Pasquale, are you ready? Yeah, I just don't have a lot to add because I don't know much about the dark money and things like that. But um, I just wanted to comment on, on some of the stuff I've heard, especially what Mark said about not being um, valued. Because I, I still think that the Constitution, despite the 13 amendments and whatever amendment they put on, is still used as if we're not here. And I think until we agree that this document is outdated, right, and revise it while keeping keeping the, the articles or whatever that basically are valid, right? Like we all, we have the right for happiness or whatever it is that, that is in there, you know, free speech and all that. But there are little part in that constitution that is even misinterpreted or was not designed for us. And I think it's time to have a real talk about it. I mean, this thing was written like hundreds of years ago, right? And so I totally agree with him when he said that um, it, it, it's a real fight. And these people are gearing up for war. I mean, like when you think about the, um, the January 6th, right? I think that's just a taste of what is to come, right? 
And I think they don't necessarily want Trump now because he talks too much, right? He was talking about China. He was talking about like how those people get their money and how they're corrupt, right? Like, let's try to, to, to think about it a little bit. Like I said, I don't have any fact or whatever. I just see what I see, right? The fact that MBS was just given immunity, right? After we all know he killed Khashoggi. Why is that? It's because he puts money in American politics. He does. He has those people in his pocket for whatever reason. And so when you're talking about dark money, it doesn't only come from American citizens. It comes from the outside. And it is difficult to track money that is funneled into the country from the outside. And I have to say, what is happening in America right now in terms of putting money in politics, if this was happening in a different country, they would be yelling corruption, right? They would be yelling, oh, you know, this is not... Uh, this is not a democracy. This is a, whatever it is that they, they keep calling other countries that are literally using strategies that in America it's couched in, in, in fancy words, right? And so to me, um, this idea of uh, American democracy, the way it is right now is not a democracy because not everyone has a voice. The mere fact that you have Congress that does not represent the majority of Americans in its constitution, right, as it is now, is already a problem. The fact that you have a party that refuses to vote for something that will remove money that nobody knows, or at least like make clear where you get your money, is telling you everything you need to know about the Republican Party as it stands right now. And um, I also agree that this both-sidedism is not, is not even correct, right? Like, remember that we have some traitors in the Democratic Party. I mean, Kirsten Cinema, where does she get all that money? It's definitely not from the Democrats, but she is a Democrat. Munchin? No, I mean, like, to me, it's, yes, we can take back money. We need money, right? But at least... For the majority of Democrats, we know where that money is coming from. We know where that money is coming from. And we also know that the people who are in Congress right now are not necessarily the people who are, um, who are what, what do you call them? I, I call them marionettes, right? I don't know how you say it in, in English, but like, you know, those stick figures that you move around and there's somebody else like pulling the thread. Yeah, I think the Koch brothers and all that. We know their names, right? But there's more than these people. There's more than these people. And I think, I personally think we need to be a bit more aggressive in how we actually go about calling out the, demo, the, the, the Republican, calling out all this nonsense. I think, you know, like you, we cannot keep coming to a fight where they're using cannon with a knife. And I think that's what we're doing. But then again, if our only remedy is to be in power, to have the presidency, to have the, the Congress or whatever, and to have the judges, if we don't vote, right, if we don't do the only thing we can, then it's going to keep going like this. And the reason why, and again, uh, I love what Danny said about investigative journalism. I'd love to read those because they're thorough, they're clear, like everything is laid down. If you can think with your own head, you can actually see what's going on. The problem is Americans do not have time to sit down and think. 
And this is what Ngozi was talking about. I don't know. In my head, at least I'm doing some sort of like summary of what all this is, right? It's a vicious circle. You have an educational system that is based on whatever, nothing. And I am in that educational system. You have a lot of people who do not have access to education. A democracy cannot stand without education, right? And so if you don't have education, you don't really know what's going on. There's no way you're going to sit down and read an investigative report. There's no way you're going to sit down and question the policies that are being put or the, 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 the things that are being implemented outside the United States in your name. Because, again, the system is made in such a way that you are too busy to try to find money to survive. Because right now, the majority of Americans in America are surviving. We are not leaving. We are surviving. I mean, the fact that people cannot pay their bill, the fact that people lose their job after just going to the hospital once because they had a thing, because they, they, they have a, a, a disease that just popped. It doesn't make any sense. But why do you think they're doing all that? It's the same people who control the narrative, who control the TV, who control the, the newspaper. They're those same people who are controlling politicians. And politicians like to be controlled because, again, they are selfish, right? We have selfish people in power. And the American people are so busy trying to survive, it will take a lot to wake them up. And I don't know how to wake them up, right? Like, I'm all for, like, let's work with the, with the youth and things like that. But at the same time, they are fed into a system where they're just trying to survive, you know? And then when you look at what is on TV, what is on TV is just trash. Like, those journalists, those, like, talking head, they're not doing anything. They're literally upholding the status quo. You go on TV today, on, t on Monday today, you hear the same thing on all the channels when you have a lot more issues that need to be addressed, right? Like, I, I don't, like, the fact that we're even talking about Trump running for president, do you really think that these people, these people with all the money, all the stuff, cannot just sit down one day and say, okay, we are changing this law, this guy can no longer run for president. Of course they can do that. Of course they can. The reason they're letting all this happen is to distract the American people. It is to distract. Because the less you pay attention, the more they do things in your name. And by the time you wake up, it is too late to change it. Like people have been saying, oh, the Republican Party has been working. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. So people have been talking about... Um, the Republican Party working on overturning Roe v. Wade since the since forever, right? For 50 years. Okay, I've been sitting here for 20, 21 years now, and it's only the last two years or so that I really started paying attention. And why did I start paying attention? Because it started affecting me directly, right? And that's the same thing. But for 50 years, these people have been on this, right? And I don't know who said that, but it's it's long run. They're not thinking tomorrow. They're not thinking the next election. They are thinking 10, 20, 100 years from now. Dred Scott wasn't yesterday, was it? It wasn't. But like Mark said, we're still living it today. And so, like I said, I don't have a lot of thing about dark money. What I know is that the system as it is now is meant to be self. Um, it feeds on itself. 
it feeds on itself and the people who are paying for it are the middle class and the poor people in this country and when you think about who makes up the middle class in america and who makes up the poor people in america i will let you come with your own answer for that and so we all have our part to play i try to believe that i play with changing the mind of young people at my job but again it's a job right if it's sucking out my soul i can quit and again i i totally respect the people who said that us as immigrants we sort of have an out but the reality is we don't really have an out because the way america does things it that does its thing it's it's being copied across the world right so uh, as go america so goes the rest of exactly. western democracy so what happens here affects exactly. you know other and countries when you're talking about you know when you're talking about africa you're talking about like let's let's take let's let's talk about europe for for a second they have nothing in terms of resources natural resources they have nothing america at least has like land and things like that you take friends they have nothing that they produce for this world all that they bring comes from africa do you think that these people are going to let it out do you think they're going to let african country be really really free no way no way globalization right is to me at least is one way of basically putting money into africa tying african africa to debt right at the at the um uh, international monetary funds so that when african people are saying okay we want to be free we can't because we owe them money now So if you owe money to somebody dude you have to do their bidding until you pay off your debt but then you have interest. And so my point I guess my my entire point is I I kind of feel like in Gaza where I am at the end I'm at, at the edge where it's like what the fucking point? These people have us by the balls quote and quote. You know? So like what do we do? We cannot keep doing business as usual and like I said the idiot in the far far left either they don't understand or they're just trying to distract the the people who are trying to actually bring out uh the, bring out the the darkness that is in um in politics and I'm just going to leave it at that. But the the yeah. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, like some of them don't understand and some of them, you know, uh don't care and some of them are being guided by people who have nefarious means uh purposes um in mind. So, you know, there are many layers, there's not one answer and you know, I understand there are different moments when we we can have a sense of hopelessness about it because it has been an ongoing struggle for us but that is the story of america it is certainly the story of african americans in america so we um we get that and and again like i said i know that feeling and that tendency when so many things are are happening and they're so disgusting but we cannot lose hope ever you know we have to continue to fight and even in the darkest moments we have to look for solutions and continue that work which is why um we keep gathering here every day having these conversations and you know although you think that maybe you know just talking is nothing i i i i know different a lot of things can come out of productive conversations which is what we try to have here because we present 
facts and information. And again, like I said, the beginning of any solution, you first have to know what the problem is. You have to have an awareness. And we have, unfortunately, a population created on purpose that has not been proper civically informed um, and have not had the 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 um, have not been as actively engaged as they should be civically. So again, that's why we gather here. So we set the example and we go out and we help them, um, you know, figure out ways to be engaged, to support them, and to help them to understand the importance of them being engaged, not just for an election or a, an election cycle, but for a lifetime. This is a lifetime work. And as you said, you know, this, this what they have been doing is a lifetime because you, you begin with the end in mind. You know, our, our end goal is to perfect the democracy um, that that the founders created, the 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 vision. It you know, it's it's a an idea, but an idea we must work to perfect and an idea we must work to maintain. It is a bold experiment, but it has worked pretty well for quite some time. So I refuse to give in to, you know, hopelessness. I just know that, you know, we have come a very long way from where we began and that with enough work and consistent effort, we can go a lot further. But just also knowing and understanding the farther we go, the harder they will fight to bring us back, which is like, you know, we can all see when uh, President Obama got elected, terrified them and it sent them into a tailspin of activity to bring us back you know but we got president obama we got him for eight years and we will have another we will have a woman a black woman we will make progress in this country we have and we will continue to so i want to go to I the next <laughs> Sorry, I guess I'm jealous because I feel like I'm not going to leave to see that beautiful thing happen, you know? That's well, uh, just think about all of the people um, who died. Um, sometimes that's what, you know, um, Eugene yeah, and know. other indigenous people talk about this. Oftentimes, we don't always get, we're planting seeds. We're doing work. We're cultivating the field. And it may be a field that we may not be able to actually see and experience the fruits of that labor, but labor that we must. It. Yes. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> you see the promised land and you're like, whoopsie, mother. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and for me, you know, the work gives me hope and whatever I see, I see. But, you know, just you being here and having this conversation is hope enough for me right now. So, you know, I um, you guys give me hope. Um and because just, you know, if I was sitting alone myself, just having all these conversations in my head, watching the news and so forth, um, I probably would feel, and I did feel quite, you know, hopeless or, but not hope more angry because I've never felt hopeless because like I said, I'm just a fighter. I believe in our democracy. You know, I volunteered to, to fight for this country because I believed in it so much. So it's just in me. I will continue, but it sure is uh, an easier fight. Um, 
and uh, one that I would I, I am so enjoying having knowing that there are so many other like minded people out there. And I dare say for every one of us in here, there are probably 10 to 100 more of us out there. We just have to keep, you know, uh, find shining our beacon and they will find us. <laughs> OK. All right. So. Thank you so much for that. Um, who did I say was next? I wait away from my paper. I'm trying to cook. I burnt my broccoli. Okay. Miss <laughs> um, Martine wanted to add something and then Ngazi. And then I brought uh, Alexi in, um, who is going to give us an update from the other side of the pond and what Putin is, um, you know, the terror he is raging over there. So Miss Martine and Ghazi and then uh, Lexi. And so glad to have you here this um, evening, Lexi. I've been thinking about you. I can't wait to hear from you. So uh, go ahead, Miss Martine. Um, thank you, Dee. I just wanted to um, just give a note in regards to diplomatic immunity. Um, just so that um, we're, we all are clear and we have some clarity on um, the role that uh, our president uh, plays or does not play into that. Um, MBS was um, promoted and elevated to the position of prime minister. And because of that, he automatically gets diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity is a principle of international law. Our president does not give that to MBS. He did not give that to him. I've seen a lot of those articles that are gaslighting the American public that have been published in the last couple of um, days. That's incorrect. Um, that immunity came from his position as prime minister. And Thank that was you. all I wanted to put that out there. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that. We always want to stick to the facts. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, when we we say things uh, we may not actually know. So um, I just appreciate anyone who has clarification to expound on something um, that you can bring that because I, I really that that kind of bypassed me. I'm, I missed what she said, but that is that's the truth. Those are the facts. So let's try to make sure that's what we're promoting here. So I appreciate it. Up next in Thanks. Um, Martine took one of my topics, so I appreciate her bringing that in here. And I wanted to add to this as well about foreign money. So in 2021, with the last reconciliation bill they, that, that the 116th Congress did, they did pass a new law that says that if you receive donations from a foreign entity, that now must be disclosed. That was a change from where we had been before. So that is a step forward in this kind of conversation about like whose money is being spent in our country. America is actually one of the um, biggest places where foreign entities are hiding their coins. Um, so that has been a shift and a change, baby steps. And then I wanted to add about the constitution. Um, I've seen this argument a lot where like, the constitution is outdated, we need a new one. Let's okay. remember yes. the process <laughs> of making a new constitution would require a constitutional convention, which requires two thirds of the states to do that. Um, how many states are held by Republican governors? Do y'all really trust this radical Republican um, party that we're dealing with to write a new constitution that's going to be fairer mm -hmm. than the one that we have? And and so, actually, that is a goal of theirs. They exactly. want to they want to rewrite it. So I you, you took one, is, something hunting. I was going to close on. So yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> hunting for governorships because they want to do this. Now, the Constitution ain't perfect. 
Um, that's why they made processes to change it. But we are not in the space right now to allow for a change in this constitution because currently the one that we have is the one that we see Katanji Brown Jackson right now standing on and pushing back on these originalists. She's proving what a real originalist looks like. And she's using their same arguments to com- to confront them about how y'all are trying to keep people off. This constitution is constantly being used to add people in. So we, I, I understand the, the impulse for a new constitution, but Republicans will use that other people are saying they want a new constitution to get what they want. And I'm not trying to go back to slavery, y'all. So let's not do that. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you. And I look forward thank- to hearing from Alexi. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that because I, I did catch that. That's why it's important to be actively listening because I, I was taken away by my burning broccoli. So, but um, thank you for that um, because look at the uh, the changes they made to the filibuster to get his judges through and how they were able to to use that to their advantage. So not so fast and, and changing something that has served us for over you know 200 centuries. We just need to keep working to make it better and uh, stop people from, you know, further destroying uh, what the provisions and the amendments that have been placed there for us to have a more perfect union. So uh, up next, I've got Alexi and then um, I um, I see Ali is coming up uh, to uh, request. So I'm gonna, I may drop some people down so I can bring her up. And um, so go ahead, Lexi, how are you? <laughs> Okay, good night, everyone, or good evening, or good, evening. good day, or whatever um, day, <laughs> season of the day you have. So, I don't know, I, I, I was listening to you, and first of all, I, from, like, totally out of USA, I would enjoy somebody from Native Americans to be president, just to be on on the topic that you were discussing a while ago so that would be great in my opinion and, and long due uh, but uh, what's happening uh, this side so actually i i wouldn't say that anything uh, much uh, in a sense that uh, something unexpected or, or some 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 great new developments are happening in Ukraine. Ukraine is actually keeping up uh, their pace. They are uh, moving forward. The The best, uh, let's say, um, this um, assessment I have seen that <laughs> they are saying that they could take Crimea back even this year, but I uh doubt that they will do that but okay let's be optimistic and so on but um in 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 sense of what's happening uh, with uh, russia yeah that's uh, also the one of the most important things to consider so i have seen uh well in nowadays, of course, you, you see all the spectrum of people talking out loud. So from, I don't know, the, the, the people who are totally against of Russian aggression or imperialism or how you call it and totally for it, right? 
And what I have seen is that they are now looking for continuation. So a lot of people in Russia want still to have Russia. As uh, as funny as it may sound, a uh, hundred years ago or so, I think it was Lenin or, or, or somebody else who said that Russia is a prison of nations. So some nations have managed to get away from Russia, including mine. But there are a lot of nations still in Russia, and it is still a question whether Russia will stay a federation, like uh, hmm? uh, co compound, let's say, thing of nations, or it will break apart after this war inevitably ends with defeat, one way or another. And uh, the, the question is, <laughs> How, how to move forward, what to do. If Russia indeed breaks apart, then actually there's one of the problems that <laughs> whom do you appoint as the main scapegoat, so to speak? Yeah, uh, who, who is responsible for all this? If Russia doesn't break apart, then that's more um, understandable, of course, how, how exactly you appoint, well, you are the one. Uh, but then there's a question whether and how exactly that should be done the same way as Germany was uh, like this Marshall Plan and, and everything after World War II. How exactly on what uh, exactly these what do you call them? Rules like the, or... The the reconstruction um like yeah the reconstruction yes but uh, what what are the kind of the the like what will the structure look like like what like no 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 what what will the rules look like what will russia have to do like do ah. they have to continue in, in what direction so i actually look today through so Marshall plan was actually very economic like uh, driven yeah it was like for three or four years or, or something but uh, but anyway it, it didn't stipulate anything like uh, well Germany has to do this or that in political sense I think that <laughs> in general something else probably than did and uh, this Marshall Plan is something that we all remember, at least in Europe. And uh, but but <laughs> there was some rules that were put for Germany that you have to not to be basically not to be Nazi anymore, <laughs> if I can say it so plainly. Right. Uh, and and some something was put in place to control that. And actually, we should argue that this something is still in place in Rammstein in, in Germany. Uh, right? Well, they do not have as many bases there for, you know, there's a there's a reason. OK, like they're 
like you said, in Ramstein, that community there around there, Kaiserslautern, it's it's like the size of a small American state. I can't remember exactly which one, but I do agree with you that uh, you have to have some some rules and things in place to guarantee as much as possible that people are not going to revert back to the behavior that got you there. Yeah, no, no. Okay, speaking of Germany, that's actually quite interesting because now, at least in Trump's uh, America, America was complaining that, yeah, Germany is actually not putting so much manpower into a NATO thing. And uh, actually, by the rules of uh, the surrender of World War Two, I think it was six... Hundred and forty thousand manpower that they can actually the Germany can have army no more than uh, may, maybe I'm remembering it wrong but it it is actually fixed number and uh, they are now like four or five times below that number and now allies are saying yeah but what you're doing but but that's that's not actually the the thing that I started to think talk about the talks are now about okay when this happens with Russia what will be the again I am forgetting this genius word in English which is not my primary language as you can understand the the <laughs> what will be the rules the uh, for the Treaties? Well, treaty, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, for, for Russian surrender, what, what will they have to commit to, right? Okay. So, they, they, this is what, what is going on, and this is what I think is the most important for you guys to know that this is already going on. Yes, there is kind of these elites, Putin and every everybody that are still thinking about, I don't know, world domination or at least domination in Ukraine and, and therefore, but uh, I mean, to everybody else, it looks more like this bunker talk of Hitler yeah, that in during World War Two, that uh, allies are already advancing towards Germany, towards Berlin, and they are still thinking about yeah, but we will turn everything back. So this this is the sentiment, so to speak. So would you say that, are you saying that this is the sentiment of like NATO, like your country, like Latvia and those, they're, they're trying to figure out. Um, no, not only Latvia. So of course, I mean, we, are I, more I, we have been no more optimistic than that. But I have seen <laughs> also from Russia itself. Oh, and not only within for. The, within that, that there are Russians within the country that are yes. looking. Yes, got you. Uh, got you. and not only this so-called op opposition or, or something, but also these mainstream media that are thinking, yeah, but okay, what will we do if we have to surrender? 
Yes, I have been watching some of Julia Davis. She's a great follow, you guys. She watches. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the... yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> translating. Uh, at least she has these translations, mm -hmm. and that's really great because, um, yeah. So those guys who actually will would end up on I don't know guillotine or or being hanged, very like World War Two, right? So. Those guys are now thinking how to turn turn to other side or to to say that yeah, but we have we 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 were forced to say those things and to them I would say that uh, very recently there was a tribunal in Hague 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 I don't know how to pronounce it correctly it, Hague is you know yeah we all understand yeah. that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, about Africa, about Tutsi and Houthi, this uh, this whole how oh, it was thousands of hills radio. So b basically, it was propaganda who was convicted that uh, they instigated the war, and uh, in, in Africa, in uh, what was it? Rwanda? Uh, yeah, 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 Rwanda. Sorry, mm -hmm. I slipped out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Uh, I thought you were saying sleep. Uh, I thought you were saying... <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, no. No, uh, and uh, yeah, so those guys were convicted, of course, in terms of what uh, happens in not the democratic countries, they they are having like a good time serving like i don't know 20 years in prison or something uh in comparison to being beheaded or i don't know torn apart or being fed to wild animals or something what what is happening there actually so yeah okay i am um, probably going off topic but but yeah that <laughs> that is uh the the general opinion is that in russia itself that not only the opposition but also this what is the opposite of opposition position probably <laughs> yeah well so, the people who the supporters the supporters, yeah, supporters. The, the, the former supporters so basically what he's saying is that some of these you know journalists who were on tv which is would be the equivalent of fox news over here uh and and they actually played some of that uh, they are now openly talking about, you know, resolution and how do we come out of this and, and, and what happens. And again, I say Julia Davis is a great follow. She she translates Russian propaganda TV so that we get a good fix uh, on what's going on. And then we have moments like this where Alexi comes in and kind of gives us, you know, um, more depth to that. So <laughs> I appreciate you because I know... Um, you know, sometimes it's like they're saying this, but you don't know, like, if it's really she's reporting what they're saying. But, how you know, like, how do you really know? I don't see a lot about enough to to get a feel for what the people, you know, like the, the um, atmosphere is like there. So I guess what I hear you saying is that 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 
their sentiments, what they're saying is the sentiment that's kind of radiating through the general population. Well, well to be honest, of course, the, I, I also don't know. And we cannot know because we can only see what uh, is reported. What is reported by state media, what is reported by independent, not only journalists, but let's say on YouTube channels, TikTok channels, uh, whatever, Twitter and so on. But uh, the sentiment, in my opinion, let's say, and uh, my opinion, of course, is very let's say, subjective, but I can tell you that opinion has changed. So take it or leave it. But but the, this is what, uh, like, like being next to Russia and, and, uh, and everything feels like to me. Um, and I would say that's a valid, you know, you know, I understand what you're saying. I, the disclaimer is noted. Um, but I feel like it's like we have people here uh, who report on things that are going on in their state while, you know, they, you know, may not have any uh, factual um, receipts to point to. Uh, there is certainly a feeling. And, and I would say I would trust the feeling that you have about what you're hearing and seeing um, and, and how you're interpreting that. Um, over anyone else's being that your country is so near and you, you know, you have a whole lot more at stake than most people who are probably opining on it. So, <laughs> and I appreciate you coming and sharing and don't be a stranger. Uh, and I hope you and the family are doing well. Um, and um, if you had anything else that you'd like to add, um, go ahead. Yes, we're doing well. So of, of course, now, has been the stakes have been raised again because uh, now the missile last week I think was it, it fell on Poland uh, on Poland so soil so it was kind of big question whether it is article 5 or only article 4 or what what will happen and and, and, and so on uh, in my kind of opinion I'm I'm an IT guy, and I can see actually this happening that the operator actually mixed up two coordinates that he put longitude because they are basically programming these missiles with longitude and latitude where you should strike. And he just mixed up, well, I don't remember in English which is which, but basically longitude of um, Lvov, Lviv. And the latitude of Kiev, and basically it struck uh, Poland. You, you you can look this up, and this is actually one of the most plausible for me, at least, uh, reasons why this missile hit uh, Poland. But but of course now they are saying that it is it was actually Ukrainian um, counter like air. And the air-to-air -air missile to 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 defeat this missile that is launched, and that would actually also be, in my opinion and in Polish opinion, very okay to to think that if your country is launched that with eighty plus missiles, then if you miss one or if your 
counter missile defense fires and and hit something else it's uh, yeah that's too bad but it's to be expected yeah, it's to be expected. And keep in mind, too, that um, I can't remember. I think it was General McCafferty I was listening to who said that, you know, people will still look at that and see it as Russia's fault because it, it happened during a day that uh, Ukraine itself was being besieged. You know, all, all of their cities, civilian targets and things were, you know, um, civilians were being targeted. So, um I'm sure, you know, working so fiercely to defend yourself, accidents could occur. Indeed. And, uh, okay, I, I don't want to take more of your time, but in general, I, I, I remember that actually Ukraine is hitting back. Ukraine has gotten either American or Polish or Israeli, we don't know nowadays anymore, what uh, weapons and uh, they are hitting Russia back and they are hitting hard. Uh, well, it is a war crime to uh, target civil civilian infrastructure, but uh, well, Russia has done it on so many occasions. So it begs the question whether, like yesterday huge uh, pipeline of gas what, like natural gas was blown up in St. Petersburg n- near St. Petersburg and oh, uh, wow. this this begs the question whether this was a incident uh, accident or whatever it was so Russia is much less prepared for such a uh, war than Ukraine is actually in general, right? And that today is because... we we got the message that also Russia is uh, going away from this Zaporizhia uh, nuclear power plant. That's a good of course, thing. this is also bad news because now they, of course, can target it because uh, not they're that not they, there cared so much about their soldiers but but still yeah oh and god oh, knows okay. what what kind of condition they have left it in but thank you so much for yeah. coming and sharing and giving us that geopolitical view which you know we have a lot of things going on over here but i always tell folks and you know that one and that's why you're always welcome it is important for us to keep our eye on you know the geopolitical activity and the things that are going on because just like you know what happens here to our democracy has a direct effect on other countries and other Western democracies, what happens to other Western democracies, which Ukraine is like, it is the shield uh, really holding uh, against uh, the attack on all other Western democracies. So we're all interconnected. And I always am um, honored, Lexi, when you come in and and share with us and give us kind of, I feel like a, um, a local, Um, or local adjacent perspective. So I hope you have a great rest of the evening. And uh, again, thank you for coming. Don't be a stranger. Wishing you um, all the best and look forward to to seeing you again, hopefully soon. Um, So Allie is up next. And if there's no one else who would like to uh, speak after that, I think I'll close us out. 
Thanks so much. Um, if I could just make two points, and I'll make them brief because I know you're wanting to finish. Alexis, um, I just happen to be part of my, you know, work is connected with the organizations that were after the Marshall Plan here in Europe to help restore the economies of the European nations that were left in ruins after World War II. So the Allies and then other countries joined in with economic experts and different people. Of course, there were war trials for war crimes, but how to restore normal life to those different countries. And of course, it will take a long time, but that has been something that happens and is in functioning. There are people who who are already looking at that, who are already country experts and poised. You know, they're ready to try and help reestablish things. And of course, we may be living right through the moment that's the most unstable as we're getting close to the end. But you have area and country experts, economists and different folks that are used to going into like when South Sudan broke off from the Sudan, for example, that will go in and help try and rebuild economies. When the Soviet Union dissipated, you know, there were, you have experts that, that work with that stuff. So although you're, li- you're living right next to it, and I'm, I'm a few hours farther away than you are here in France, but, you know, we're all very aware of the risks that are going on, but also that there will be this, this transition period. And there are folks that are available and, will, and that are already working on that after plan, which will be really helpful. And if I could just respond real quick to, I, I stuck a few things up into the uh, nest that um, Mark had mentioned. One is about the Federalist Society dominating the Supreme Court. But also, Mark, it was really moving when you mentioned that um, the second inaugural address of Lincoln. I think it, it is short and it is something that is would be helpful for us to read uh, because of uh him making that speech during a time of such strife and making the decision to fight for an imperfect democracy, but one that we could continue to work on. Um, and so I just wanted to go ahead and say that that's in the, the nest there for anybody who wants to read it. It is a short, but very moving read. Thanks. Thank you guys. Well, thank you, Ali, for all of those things. And I appreciate that so much and always love to have your voice and your contributions here. So thank you again. And I just want to thank everyone um, who has joined us today. I especially want to thank my my normal co-host, Eugene, who is taking a break, but he is in the house. And then a um, thank you to my wonderful guest co-host, a soul sister who has done a fabulous job. And I need to, if you can remember what the rest of the lineup is for this week, I'm going to be pulling up our final readings. And I would like to give Eugene, since he is here at the mic, an opportunity for some closing words. Anyone else here on the um, panel, if you'd like some closing words before we close out, this will give people a chance to grab uh, some of the great resources that have been placed in the nest or other, or the Jumbotron. Throw your hand up if you're on the stage and you want to say something. Um, otherwise, I'm going to uh, give Eugene an opportunity, uh, Soul Sister, and then I'll read our, our final closeout. Wow. Thank you, Dee. Um, what what a great space. Um, 
lots to chew on here. And Alexi, great to see you. Uh, wonderful to see you. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to real quick uh, uh, update everybody on the Common Ground Social. It is back up. We went down on Saturday. We got really bad attack, but we're up. We're fine. Um, our server was a little freaked out about how much traffic we were getting, and it was all they were trying to get to us, right? We're good. Um, I, I, We are working on a Mastodon uh, uh, backbone site uh, that will mirror this also. Um, um, but, you know, we're just, uh, I just want people to stay connected. I, I, like I always say, you know, stay on Twitter. Like this fight is not over, right? And don't give up on this. Um, but I do want people to have a safe place. And I appreciate everybody that ha has supported us and continued to support us in, in this little endeavor. Um, but I didn't realize this was going to be as much work as it has been, but woohoo, man, we're, we're doing it right. And, uh, deep, I, I really love your, your, your heart, um, and, and your dedication to this community and your example, right? Like, you know, leader for me, leadership is, a, is about example and you daily, um, I, I hear you providing that example in, in the way that you interact and and uh, what you support, you know, in your life and, and here. So and Soul Sister, you did an amazing job once again. And uh, just really great to see this community put forward so many um, great, great spirits that um, I believe are going to have an effect on America. I, I, I really believe this. I, I each each and every one of you, like I, I I hear like so many of you that come up here. You're you're affecting the the way that this country like is thinking about stuff, but by your interactions with 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 us. Because when you drop a nugget, guess what? I I'm gonna share that nugget with somebody, and I'm pretty sure everybody else is gonna share that nugget with somebody. Um, so you know. Keep sharing those nuggets and, you know, as we, you know, we always say real close to that election, hey, tell people to get registered and, and whatever. These are good times, actually, times during these holidays um, to, to ask your family members, are, are you registered? You know, are you participating in this democracy? And share some of the things you learned in here of why that's important, uh, 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 voting in, in this democracy. So those that's just my little bit. And Mark. Man, you were hitting it out of the park today. Holy cow. Man, I, I got to like, I had to take notes. And I don't usually take, and one has to take notes when it comes to what we're talking about here. But thank you, Dee. Well, thank you, Eugene. I appreciate it. And yes, uh, Mark uh, always drops lots of gems. Um, so, um, Soul Sister, you're next. Uh, oh, wait, um, Alexi. Did you want to say something before we end it? Yeah, I, I I just wanted to respond a bit to Ali, Ali, about yes, uh, we know we were part of Soviet Union that uh, West had helped, but uh, the problem is the Russia was helped the same. Why, and how, what? Can we learn what what not to do next time when 
not if, but when we will have to help them so that uh, like this sort of uh, in, in general in 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 very very shortly so it, it would be like one of your nation security agency took over whole nation so whether it would be nsa cia or whatever so you have your protocols in place how they are each checking each other right so now in russia what is happening is that one of these agencies is basically taken over the control and it is not checked by anything else so i i don't know how from outside apart from intervening directly and saying no you are not putting that guy or girl into i don't know parliament or something how exactly you are influencing that because as a west we have failed in that this is our failure that russia has turned out this way because in 90s there was actually a chance i'm not blaming mostly west or, or something the russia itself is mostly to blame but 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 still we have backed those people at some point we have acknowledged that they are the ones who can represent russia and actually as a member of uh, united nations they have veto power in security council and so on so so this this is a big deal to me as a small nation thank you i will shut up for now <laughs> i get it uh alexi i i do understand what you're saying and and it really ties in kind of to our our conversation today because make no mistakes about it russia has been very very involved in these um, dark networks. Um, they have pushed religion, they have formed um, collaborations, bringing uh, the people from different areas over here. I know they did a lot of work here in my area in Tennessee because this is the Bible Belt um, and we are the buckle. And uh, they have been working alongside these other you know, um, right-wing conservative groups, uh, they have been working um, within, you know, making headway into those groups, uh, uh, going with issues that they could break through on. And religion was definitely one of them. And the second one was guns, you know, um, two things that are not really big issues actually in their own society for them, you know. Um, but so, I do get what you're you're saying, and I feel like, I mean, just as with um, you know Germany and and Marshall Plan, there were trials and tribunes, and I can't see the West. Um, I think there will be a a microscope put to you know pretty much anyone um, that's going to be in any positions of power. You know, so you know, I understand your concern and your worry. You're a lot closer than we are. But I say just for all the reasons that you stated, that there will be a lot of scrutiny around it. It will not be something taken lightly um, because 
It is so critical to the rest of our democracies. And the fact that he went so far this time, we know when when it, there aren't consequences, you know, you know, the next guy goes even further. So um, I understand the concern and the worry, but I do have some confidence in the um, in the diplomacy and the skills that will be needed to address this. Um, and again, I appreciate you, um, you know, sharing that sentiment, you know. And I know you were probably saying, well, easy for you to say you're way over here. <laughs> uh, you know, I get it. I do. I promise you. And I pray for you and I pray for your family. So, um, again, don't be a stranger. So, um, Soul Sister, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have some closing words and then I'll give us a couple of readouts. Thank you so much, Dee. I, I, I just really wanted to thank everybody um, for contributing today and helping make this space the great space that it is, as it always is. And there was so much great information shared and um, passionate uh, discussions. And, and I appreciate all of the knowledge that's brought in here. And I, I, I really truly am humbled by um, being able to participate in, in this capacity. Uh, you know, I, it's it's just another way for me to help support democracy, and I'm I'm I appreciate it. Um, but for the lineup, I wanted to give you um, give you the rundown. Eugene will be back tomorrow, and uh, so on Tuesday, Miss Martine will be hosting with co-hosting with him. On Wednesday, uh, Shauna will be co-hosting. Thursday, let's just enjoy our family and life. Yes, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving <laughs> for the democracy that is remaining. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and then Friday, we come back with Engazi uh, to wrap up the week. And um, I want to say thank you to to you guys for um, also being alongside me, with me, and helping me and supporting me. And I, I just want to say thank you to everyone. So appreciate um, appreciate today. Thank you. Sorry, um, I am trying to charge. I'm on fumes here with the battery and um, got the dinner uh, finishing up. But I just want to thank you guys for hanging out with us so long today. I did not intend for it to go this long. But again, like I said, this this space, this conversation is really not about me, Eugene, uh, so anyone hosting it's really about our democracy and it's about you guys because you care about it and you're all kind of warriors for democracy. So um, anytime the conversation is going and um, is, you know, productive and I have the, the time, I'm going to stay here and, and have it uh, with you. So again, I thank you guys for being here, supporting us, for contributing all the people who shared and contributed so much on, um, you know, with specific information. Um, thank you for always, you know, rising to the occasion on whatever I ask of you. Um, beautiful contributions you made. Thank you, Geechee, uh, Mark, Miss Martine, Soul Sister, um, Allie. Um, you, you guys, you're, you're just gems. I appreciate it. Um, and you make this community um, the awesome, productive, you know, community that it is and that like I said alone gives me hope 
So I just want to thank you for being here and just want to leave you with uh, two reminders. I'm going to be reading, you know, the two readouts that I normally do. And I think um, the, the quote from Martin Ann Muller is pretty poignant today because earlier um, Greg uh, GZ came in and it's important for you guys to understand like these dark funded organizations have a purpose you know and mostly it eventually will end up harming everyone except them and theirs so you need to remember just because they're targeting you know trans people today tomorrow it could be uh, Jewish people, you know, next week it's right. And some days it's all of us, but just know that, you know, it's important that we stand up and not be silent when anyone, any community, any demographic is being um, othered, demonized, and certainly harm being brought toward them. That doesn't that, you know, that's harm, whether it's, it's verbal in, in virtual spaces or certainly in real life, it matters. And just like it's up to all of us to fight for and protect our democracy, it's up to all of us who believe in the right, you know, part of our democracy and our belief in it is that everyone should have, you know, the same free, uh, equal right to that pursuit of happiness. So we need to be able to protect it for everyone. So I just want to thank you guys again for being here and leave you with these thoughts. And this is a quote from Ma Martin Niemöller, who was a, a Lutheran pastor in Germany in the 1920s and early 30s. He sympathized with the Nazi idea and supported radical uh, right-wing political movements. But after Hitler came to power in 1933, Niemöller became a kind of an outspoken critic of Hitler. Too late, too bad. Interference in the, uh, he was mad about Hitler's interference in the Protestant church. And then he spent the last eight years of the Nazi rule from 1937 to 1945 in Nazi prisons and concentration camps. And he penned this quote, because of his experience, uh, begging other people to not stand by and not speak up. First, they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. So I just want you guys to remember that and do, do the right thing. And um, for all of you who are feeling a little um, worried and troubled, try to keep this quote in mind. It is my pinned tweet for that reason, because sometimes the political environment can get very turbulent and scary but this keeps me hopeful from someone who I know literally put their life on the line and um, suffered tremendously, but just had such a, a, a wonderful spirit and continued to fight until he died. And these are the words of the late great representative John Lewis. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. 
Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So I want to thank you guys for coming and hanging out with Eugene and I and our wonderful guest co-host Monday through Friday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll be back here tomorrow at the same time. And we hope you will join us. We hope you share, retweet the space. I think it was an awesome conversation. And the fact that it was recorded means that you can share it with other people who were not able to be here. And I just want to thank all of you for being here. Even those of you who did not come and join in the conversation, I am honored by you sitting in the gallery listening. So I just want to say thank you and leave you with peace and blessings.